All right, Adam, before we get into the show proper, I'm going to send you right now, I'm going to send you a photograph I took from my desk today. This was hours ago. You'll see it was daylight. This was the view from my desk in my home office. Okay. It, it, it's at the back of our house. It overlooks a little courtyard. And our, our rear neighbors across the courtyard were having some, are, are having some, some home repairs done. Okay. <laughs> I can't. It's I'm coming. so excited. <laughs> it's, it's going. going through, through Skype? It, no, no, no. I'm sending it as an iMessage. Oh, okay. Keep it secure. All right. It says that it's sent. There it is. <laughs> now, I need you to realize that the, the guy, <laughs> the, the top guy, <laughs> is not, that is not a uh, a deck that is just a little, sort of like a little ledge outside the, the sure. window. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What is he doing? That doesn't well, seem safe. It doesn't seem safe at all. This and, is... This is at least I don't know the third floor, the fourth floor. It's pretty oh, high God. up. And the other guy's on two ladders. He's straddling <laughs> two ladders. That's like a ripped pants Harold Lloyd gag in the making. <laughs> there is, if you look, it's hard to see because it's like the iPhone kind of focused on the screen in my window. But if you look, there is sort of like a blue rope yeah. going to the roof of yeah, the of the house. But the rope is actually connected to the other ladder that isn't being used. So it's like. There's a ladder that has like a safety harness, but the guide does not. Oh God! <laughs> oh, these are some real, real morons. Oh, did you just stare for like an hour waiting for them to fall? <laughs> I had to close the window. I could not. I couldn't get any work done. My palms, <laughs> my palms, <laughs> my palms were sweating such that I could have cured the drought in California. <laughs> what were they doing? They're they're ripping up the roof or something. I guess they're retiling the roof or something. Mm-hmm. They're doing they're just doing work on the roof or whatever. But the way that they are on these ladders does not <laughs> does not seem safe. No, that's not good. That's not OSHA standards. That's not to code. <laughs> the guy, the one guy, and he wasn't just straddling those two ladders for a second or two. He, <laughs> whatever he was doing up there, was one foot on one ladder and one on another. I felt like I was watching a Chaplin movie. <laughs> and uh, my fear was, I, I just feared for their lives. And then apparently, then, then they started, they got into an argument with apparently a rival contractor who's doing what appears to be some other job on the same house. But they're, they're clearly not colleagues. And, and they got into an argument. But it's like the one group that's in the argument is 30 feet up in the air on a ladder. I, I don't feel like that's the time to have an argument. <laughs> yeah they get into beefs those construction crews they're uh it's very broy that culture we've had some work done on our house recently and uh if the crew doesn't like somebody on the you know they'll do they'll they'll do pranks they'll they'll do some fraternity shit stuff <laughs> for example I don't know, you know, like hiding the guy's keys <laughs> for like hours, you know, not like, and they're, these are grown men. These are like men in their forties and fifties. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that I don't work in an industry where it's, it would be, it's commonplace for people to hide your keys. Cause I, yeah, I lose, I lose my keys frequently enough on my own. 
<laughs> yeah, that's just kind of permissible. Uh, Adam, so we, I, we talk about lots of stuff. Uh, we always talk about lots of stuff. But, I mean, the big thing is Apple TV. So the last episode of this show, I did it with Guy English. Was yeah. it's, We were really just like, uh, I forget when we recorded. Friday? Yeah. So I, I think we I'd only had it 24 hours. And mm-hmm. Guy had the dev kit one for a while. But it was really only hooked up. Like the dev kit thing really wasn't that useful because the app store wasn't live in it or anything like that till Friday. So in terms of like getting like a sense of the whole experience, it was it was relatively new for both of us. Right. And, and, and so we've, we've had another week. Yeah, and I've been with it for about 72 hours now. Um, so I've done my fair share of poking around, mostly par- partially in prep for talking with you about it. I feel like that's I kind of have to go through the, you know, kick the tires and take it through its run it through its paces. Right now I'm, well, I brought it into the office. I brought my Apple TV into the office and ho- I have it hooked up to a TV here so I can go through all the UI as we talk about it. And right now I'm doing like a little science experiment with the reflection as I, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the icons, what do you, what do you call the refraction? I don't know what you call that. Well, the, 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 the reflection, cause there's a light source reflected right. in the, in the, in the pane and it's striking me and I'm, and I'm using a different reflective surface and like, I'm using the reflective part of the, of the remote of the real remote. Cause I want to make sure. Okay. Yeah, it does. It, <laughs> it didn't, it, like the way that when you turn the pane to the left or the right, that the, the reflection goes off to, you know, it goes off to the left or the right, the, the way it would in the real world, obviously to mimic the physical universe. You mean like when you just sort of jiggle your thumb on the touchpad a little bit, just to make the currently selected item sort of rotate around? Exactly. Yeah. Like it pivots. It pivots slightly. That's right. It pivots and it also sort of pans over. It's like really cool. Like however they rigged this, it's almost like on a ball joint. Yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. Right. So like as if it's like sitting on a bowling ball, and you push it back and forth, and it reflects the light source behind you, which is sort of a soft light bank. Um. God, they're just getting really good at this stuff. You know, mimicking the the physical universe. In a way that, of course, it makes sense. We kind of had to like pull it back and go flat for a while, while they got better at doing this kind of stuff, this kind of visual effect kind of stuff. Because before, you know, you look at like Aqua, and it looked kind of cool for the time, but it looked like, you know, relative to the physical world, it looked like garbage. It was dumb. But yeah. this doesn't look dumb, I don't think. No, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um. I do like the way it looks, but it's the feel of it that I really like. And if there's anything that I feel is just, I, and I've read a lot more other people's reviews of mm-hmm. it since you know since I spoke about it on the last show, and it does seem mixed. It seems like uh, it to me. A lot of people are. It seems like I'm in the minority. It seems like a lot of the overall first week feedback is a lot more negative than I think it should be. Yeah. It's like way, way more controversial than you would ever think it would be. It it seems like a a minority that's, uh, that's actually just really like stoked about this thing. And I'm definitely on your side. I I think this is magical. And I've been a Apple TV, huge proponent of Apple TV since the first version. So I've watched it, you know, I've owned, 
a bunch of them. I like four. Jesse I've Char. owned all four. I've owned all. Four. Yeah, definitely. I've owned all four, and like um, one, you know, kind of to the point of of uh, fixation, where I, like I would get one for. They're cheap enough now. You can get one for each TV, um, and like you know, we have two TV, you know, two in the office, and or actually four in the office. But Jesse Char reminded me today on Twitter that um, I was the guy who would, when when the Apple TV first came out, version one, I would actually travel with it. Like if we would all, you know, come to to a conference, <laughs> we'd come to a conference in San Francisco, and I would bring mine with me and hook it up to the hotel TV, just in case. <laughs> um, and I kept my whole movie library on there because it wasn't not, there was no real cloud service kind of stuff yet. Um, but I would uh, I hacked mine back then. You used this what was it Fire something? Firewire. Do you remember what it was? What was it? Was it Firewire? no not Firewire? No, there's um there's a there's a there's a, a company a software company that basically sold a hack for the Apple TV. Oh, so you, I, I know what you mean. I forget what it was yeah. called. Yeah, this is why we should have a live audience. <laughs> I know what um, you mean, though. And and the fact was, really, I, I would just say, going back, zoom out to the big, you know, big picture. There's really only been three Apple TVs. The first one, which ran like it was like Mac OS 10, 10.4 under the hood. It didn't look like a Mac, but if you took it apart and did the equivalent of jailbreaking it, you could figure out it was a an Intel x86 mac more or less like a really low-end mac mini running a version of os 10 um but with this custom tv interface right um, and sometimes if something went wrong you had to surface like the 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 bdos or whatever you could yeah. see like BSD, the, the, yeah the, the yeah you could you could see all the code running on it and it felt real mainframey in a weird way. <laughs> then there's the second generation, which is when they switched to a much smaller puck, the little black puck, and it was much simpler, and it's under the hood running. It, it was running a version of iOS. Um, the third generation is really sort of like 2.5 because it was just like, uh, I forget what it added, but it, it maybe that was when they added 1080p support. I forget, but it was... Uh, that That is true, yeah. It was 1080p and for some reason cuz i have both versions in the home, in my in my home right now for some reason version 2 no longer runs youtube yeah exactly no th- i know why that is it long story short it's because at some point apple stopped doing software updates for that second generation one yeah, and yeah. youtube like sometime within the last 6 months youtube changed their api at to such that anything that hooked up to YouTube needed some sort of update to keep active with YouTube. And because the second generation uh, Apple TV isn't getting software updates anymore, it can't use YouTube. Right. And so the second generation is still running the old iOS, which is all awkward and and, and nasty. And then version 3 iOS looks pretty good, but nothing compared to this one. Um, right. But I, I I looked it up. It's called Fire. Well, now it's called FireCore. That hack that that um, that hack that you could install. And it, back then it was called ATV Flash. ATV Flash. Yeah, know. you would buy this software. You would use a USB stick to flash your Apple TV, and override the OS somehow. And then you could do things like you know mount it uh, on your Mac as an external hard drive, copy your movie library onto there. 
And I don't even remember how big the hard drive was, but it was enough that I could, you know, and if you had like a bunch of standard def movies, you could, you could store them on there. You could also like hook up an external drive. And so really that was my, Oh, you could all, you, you can install other apps like Plex. Um, I forget what else, but you know, like those Xbox media center kind of uh, media players. Yeah. And really like, that's the only, I never jailbroke my iPhone, but I totally jailbroke the uh, Apple TV just so I could like, do more stuff with it. Yeah. Well, so the original name was ATV Flash, and what's the new name? Fire, Firecore. N- Fire now Core. it's called Firecore. Okay. I don't know what it does now because there's really no need for it. Right. Yeah. The um, first Apple TV. I mean, this was. Uh, I mean, that was really. I mean, and it, you know, uh, that was really when it was a quote unquote hobby for Apple. But the basic idea mm-hmm. with the first Apple TV, again, it was an uh, like a Mac Mini under the hood. It had a spinning hard disk, and more or less, as as I recall, unless I'm forgetting something, pretty much all it really was good for was watching movies that you had downloaded to the Apple TV somehow. Like either from right. your i either from your iTunes on your computer, you could like play a movie that you had downloaded, or if you got or like rented or bought a movie from iTunes on your Apple TV, you had to wait for the whole thing to download, and then it would play. Maybe it would start before right. it finished, but you were still downloading it, and it was like taking up space on a hard drive. Exactly, and in hindsight, it makes total sense why they would call that a hobby because it didn't work that well. It wasn't a good, you know, consumer experience. There was no airplay. There was uh, there was very little. You needed it to have a big hard drive just so you could like store the movies that you bought because they you weren't getting them any other way. Yeah, and I think you know, and it's it was a. You know, it, I think we forget how much uh, just home bandwidth has improved in the last eight, nine years. Yeah, too. geez, 2007, that first one came out. That does, it seems like a lot longer ago than that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you go back in time to 2007 and, you know, run a speed test, you probably have a lot, most people would probably have a lot slower connection at home. I remember Definitely. it used to be a freak, a common problem with that where you would get like ready to I, I, I do remember now that it definitely played before it completely downloaded a movie but it would give you like a ready to play and like for me like the best you ever got would be like ready to play in two minutes and you'd, <laughs> and you'd wait two minutes and you know maybe go to the bathroom before the movie started maybe go mix a drink or something like that and then it would go but then sometimes you would get it and it'd be like ready to play 30 minutes Spin, spin, spin. Ready to play. <laughs> or the work. Thirty-one or minutes. If you were, if you had a, a bandwidth problem going on, ready to, and you've got the popcorn popped and everything, and then it's like ready to play. Seventeen hours. Yeah. Seventeen hours, forty-three minutes. <laughs> X Men Part One. As a as a modern dad, that really it just it really felt like it really felt like I was just letting my family down. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you know, you could always go to Blockbuster Video and rent the DVD in the same amount of time. And right. Like in the Norman Rockwell America where your dad is the guy who could like fix the chain on your bike, you know, like you bust the chain <laughs> on your bike and your dad, you know, would have like a bench in his basement or the garage where he could like do whatever it takes to fix a busted bike chain. Like it, my version of that is, you know, a, a large part of it involves, you know, ones and zeros and connecting things sure. and making them work. And then you promise your family, you know, like, Hey, let's watch the new Pixar and everybody's excited. 
And like you said, the popcorn's popped, and then it says ready to play in 17 hours. And it yeah. just never goes on well. And I know there are still times today, I know that, I don't know about with the new Apple TV. I've never had a problem like that yet in a week that I've had the new Apple TV. But I know that there are times where even with like the, the third generation Apple TV that just got superseded last week, that people would get problems like that or, or just get a spinner that never stops, you know, you, for whatever reason. It's, yeah, those edge cases, those edge cases where, you wouldn't know what to do. Like where the Apple TV wouldn't know what to do just because something went wrong, but it didn't know how to like correct itself quickly. Like, like if you like iTunes can't download this purchase, that kind of, that kind of error message that it wasn't really clear what the hell happened, except that the thing that you bought won't won't play on your thing. Um, But yeah, there's no, there's no better example of what it, what it, of that domestic kind of uncomfortableness that happens when you and your your you know your domestic partner your spouse are sitting down and um she or he can't understand why you're so why why a why you, you can't fix this thing because all she, all she wants to do is watch a movie but also why you're spending so much time sweating it because like this is the future right. this thing that this thing that we hooked up to our computer is the future um and just like give it time just be patient and she's like there's a vcr sitting right there like right there we've got a copy of beetlejuice ready to go um right. but i and mean when like, we used to you, and when we used to watch them on discs dvds or blu-rays or even going yeah. even going back to the tapes where the worst thing you could have with the tape is you'd have to wait for it to rewind <laughs> even going back to that era at least once you know the worst case scenario is that you maybe maybe your dvds in the shelf in the living room aren't alphabetized you know and it might right. take a minute or two like you ever have that problem where it's like where the hell is the movie we're looking sure because yeah, they're the very thin boxes and we i mean sometimes a dv a dvd scratches and it won't and it skips and it won't play vhs you take it out of the deck and you put it in your little thing like your little car rewinder um you know your little rewind vhs rewinder that's shaped like a car you wait for it maybe like two minutes to rewind um, it seems like I guess the more complicated technology gets. This is a real uh, <laughs> Irma Bombeck observation. The more complicated technology gets, the more of a pain in the ass it is. Um, it doesn't go over well when you get the you get the seventeen hours until it's ready to play. But not only that, but my specialty was like AV stuff. Like I was AV guy in the family right. and would always have every cable for everything. And if my dad couldn't figure out how to get the damn receiver to go to the to the DVD player, then I would just like print out instructions and stuff. But when it's in software, unless you're like a real smart person, you can't figure it out. There's no troubleshooting it. Yeah. You just got to hit the thing. Um, but uh, it's this one seems pretty rock solid, though. The new Apple Perf- TV. Yeah, performance. I have I've had a couple of crashes. The uh, not not system crashes, but app crashes. The worst thing I've seen so far is that I've had a couple of times where it's like I turn my TV back on, and this is not Apple TV's fault, or at least it can't be because my TV is so old that it doesn't have the. It's called HDMI dash CEC, which is the the way that if. If your devices all speak, CE, the HDMI CEC, they can turn each other on and off, and they can do things like uh, change the HDMI input. So 
in, in, in with an ideal TV set, in theory, you can just turn on your Apple TV and it will also turn on your TV and will switch the input on your TV to the Apple TV input. So you just do one, you know, hit one button and it all goes on. Um, I don't have that. It's my TV does isn't even supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to turn the TV on first and then switch the input on the TV remote and then turn on the Apple TV or, or vice versa. But I've had twice so far in the last few days where the Apple TV turns on, I see the little white light on it, but it, I don't have any, I don't see anything on screen. It's just like black, but it's mm-hmm. also not like a no signal picture. It, it's just like still there. So see, what do you do? You hit the menu button? Uh, um, what seems to fix it for me is switching to another HDMI. This doesn't make any sense. I don't. I don't even get how how this would fix it. But it seems like if I switch to another input on the TV, like to the TiVo, and then go back to Apple TV and then hit menu or something or home, it'll it'll work. But if I don't switch, I can just sit there and hit home or menu, and it doesn't do anything. Maybe, and that seems like a placebo to me because switching the HDMI input on the TV shouldn't affect what the Apple TV is sending out at all. Well, it, I think it just kind of rejiggers it a little bit. <laughs> I think that's what I, if I'm right that it's not a placebo, I do think that that's it, that there's some kind of rejiggering. Like when you first switch, I don't know anything about HDMI, I don't know how it works. Well, it is bi directional. Right. Know that. I know that. And so, in other words, I, yeah, so the rejiggering might be like, um, when I switch the TV's input to the TiVo and it's away from Apple TV, it might tell the Apple TV, okay, I'm leaving. And then when I switch back, it's like, hey, I'm here again. And then the Apple TV somehow. Um, and I never had that problem with the old, with my previous Apple TV. And I can't help but think it's some kind of little silly bug and they will fix it. And it's probably the type of bug that was easily slipped through because I'll bet that internally at Apple, they weren't really testing on a lot of TVs as old as mine. Right. Well, who knows? I bet they have a warehouse full of every single TV in the last, you know, two decades um, since flat screens have have started been being made, or since the HDMI, HDMI standard came out. I bet they they test them pretty extensively. They probably just don't put very much weight <laughs> weight into the, like making it work work perfectly. Well, and it doesn't happen every time, and so I, you know, I, I, I'm not too concerned about it. And it's you know. Once you're already, yeah. it, I'm so used to the the little back and forth dance of I got to use like two or three different remotes, turn on the sound, turn on the TV, turn the input right. on the TV, turn on the thing. But then once I have that set up, then it, once it's working, I can just use the Apple TV remote. And I'm happy. Yeah. So we have a couple of these. We have a couple of these smart TVs at home. Um, and I heard you and you and Guy talking about this a little bit. He said he has a TV with a Netflix app built into it. Yeah. So Vizio makes these, and they're real cheap, and they are smart TVs, and they've got, you know, they've got most of the apps. They've got Netflix, Hulu, um, YouTube, uh, other ones, Yahoo, all of them, the main streaming video apps. And there's there's something so freeing about, um, like one of the TVs we have is 32 inches because it's just meant to go in like in the playroom, basically. There's something so freeing about unplugging it, picking it up, putting it somewhere else. It's already on the Wi-Fi. Putting it down anywhere in the house, and you just like launch the Netflix app, and it'll play a video without any other crap connected to it. That's, you know, that's like that. That is the era of software in in TV, and I don't think most people have gotten to like really like really see that future all that much. Um, just because we've the the development of software in TV 
in this way that we're seeing in Apple TV has been really gone going on. It's been going on concurrently where where TVs themselves are getting smart, but also there's just every, every hardware company out there is making its own little box that you're supposed to plug in. So um, it's really two road, two roads at the same time. And it's a matter of who's kind of getting there first. And I, for my money, you know, the Apple TV model, this really, really smart, elegant, you know, box that holds everything is probably the way that I would go instead of, you know, the other model, which is them making their own screen or whatever it is. Uh, did you see that? I linked to a thing the other day on Daring Fireball written by uh, Abdel Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I read he's that. He's got his own blog, uh, but he wrote this one at Medium, and more or less he he's... He's saying, and this is after you know I get, he got his hands on the new Apple TV that he still thinks Apple is going to build a TV set with Apple TV built in, you know, sort of the the, the white whale of Apple TV. Sure, rumors. sure. And yeah. I do see, I you know, you you can't help but see the appeal of that a little bit. Like e- even going back to my childhood, I mean, it was probably before you were born. You're a youngster, but like when we first got uh, our Atari twenty six hundred. And you'd hook it up to the TV, like on the, it was like the coaxial in, I guess. And, or maybe it wasn't even coaxial in. No, it wasn't. It was, there was like this. <laughs> you screw them in. You screw yeah. them in. You the little pins that yeah, you screw like in. Like two yeah. little prongs, like two yeah, little prongs. prongs, and you'd screw them in. Yeah. Um, it was like to hook up your Atari 2600, you were, you were like you risking a, a screwdriver. You were risking a shock. <laughs> um, but there was also, and I still, to this day, this is probably something I should look up, because I've been curious about it since I was like seven, is you had the option between doing it on channel two or channel three. Oh, no, it was three or four, wasn't or it? Or three or four, whatever yeah, it was. It yeah. was two of the lower channels. And I don't know why that was an option. I, there must have been some kind of case where where you, the, this... Frequency interference. I yeah, think. that like if you got like a real strong signal from your local channel three station, that channel four would be better for Atari or something. Right, or your microwave was on channel three, so you had to put your Atari on channel four. <laughs> yeah, something stupid like that. You know, yeah. just oh god, analog. The analog video world could not have gone away sooner, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But even even I mean, that little once you had the thing hooked up and there was the two three thing and and I don't know sometimes it would I don't even know why like maybe somebody would accidentally flip that switch because they thought they were flipping the difficulty switch on the Atari <laughs> and then you'd be like your, your Atari you wouldn't it wouldn't come on it would just be static and you'd be like turn the dial you know and you turn the dial yeah. to four and it's like anything like that is such it it, it just it feels it, it, irritating it just feels it is like irritating it just feels like we're still in a race to get back to the simplicity of tv before there was anything you could ever plug into your tv where it was just a box that you turned on and there was a dial that had you know 14 14 things on it right it was like 2 through 13 and uhf whatever that was uh and that was it you'd, yes. you'd turn the dial to one of those 14 things and you could turn the thing on or off, and that was it. And there's a and know, there were there were four companies, there were three companies out there making everything that you could possibly need to watch. Well, everything that you really wanted to watch, right? right. And all of the primetime stuff came from three different companies: ABC, NBC, CBS. I don't know what they had around the world, but in the U.S., that's what we had, and we liked it. 
Now, obviously, uh, you know, we don't want to go back to that, but I th- feel like we, we, we've spent 30 years trying to get back to that level of simplicity. Absolutely. And I think where we're, where we're getting there is this, the, the, the intelligence of discovery, like the, how software makes it so much easier, even though there's literally exponentially, um, pro, you know, thousands to hundreds of thousands of times more content out there always available for us um, than, than there used to be with just the, the three channels, you know, 14 channels. The software is what made, has made it available, uh, has made it so that we could filter and find the equivalent of the, those three channels of stuff that we really want to watch at any given time. At least that's the, that's the theory. Right. And it's, it just can get confusing. Like I've been listening and you know, I listened to some podcasts this week where people were talking about Apple TV and uh, like Jason Snell was saying that, you know, for years now, or at least the last few years, he spent more, his family spent more of their time when they watch Netflix doing it through the TiVo than doing it through Apple TV. And like Netflix is the perfect example because Netflix really is everywhere. It's on mm-hmm. any device that will take them. Um and so Absolutely. I had a, I first saw it on a Wii. Um, yeah. I didn't even have a, a streaming. I think Roku was maybe the first streaming box that got Netflix, but I, there, you, you could get the disc for, uh, for the Wii and launch that app from the disc and it would let you browse the Netflix streaming content. And it was like, it was miraculous. It was even kind of better than the other, like the, the Netflix um, experience in the browser. It's it's a but it's like there's so there's so many ways to do it you know what I mean like you so you could use your TiVo you could use your Wii you could use your PlayStation uh, I, I guess there's one for Xbox I don't know I don't, I don't have an Xbox but uh, I'm sure um, some of your TVs like we were just saying some of your TVs have Netflix built right in so yeah. you don't even need to have a box connected or you could use your Apple TV or you could use the app on your phone or whatever and just uh, you know airplay it over to your apple tv or something like that mm-hmm. and, and it's all essentially just code it's just right code that will del- that's whose only purpose is to deliver you all of that media that netflix has available right but what i can see is i can kind of and that this is to me is gets to the heart of what i i, I feel like people miss i can kind of see how this new apple tv could be the only thing on your tv Absolutely. I, that's what I would, that's what I would like. I mean, I, as soon as it can get me every single piece of TV content I could conceivably need, I do not want to switch to input to, um, I, uh, and really like, I, I used to think that Apple was going to make a TV. I, I would agree with, with Abdel's assessment, like maybe a year or two ago. I don't think it makes sense for them to do it anymore because um, they're able to iterate on this this box so much faster than people want to buy a new screen. I, uh, that's personally, I, and, I well, and I, th- I, you know, and we've talked. I've, <laughs> I mean, this is probably like the, the ad nauseum, the most evergreen topic in the history yeah. of talking about Apple stuff because yeah. it's. It, I mean, we've been talking about this forever. I mean, Dan Benjamin and I used to talk about this. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, and that was that was like twenty years ago, right? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, and it, you know, like my old my old thinking. Well, of course they'll do it. Is you know, why sell a hundred dollar box for 
a $2,000 TV instead of selling a $2,000 TV or for Apple, a $3,000 TV. Um, and in the years since that basic thinking, the average cost of a big flat screen modern TV has dropped way below. You know, they're not $2,000 anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. you can buy one for 2000 but most people don't. Most people get them for just a couple hundred bucks. So there's not that sure. much more money there. And maybe um, at some point they get to an equilibrium where the cost of the screen comes down so low, uh, maybe to the, to the point where it's the same cost as an iPhone. And then the rest of it, the cost is subsidized by all the media that you're, you're going to buy right. through it anyway. Right, and the other thing that in the that makes me and I'm I, I link to it and I'm optimistic because I'd still I'd like to kind of see it and I would like to buy it no matter what it costs I would like to buy the Apple branded TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they'll make it though because I I feel like they would still have to make the box and keep it up to date because so many people have a TV that they don't want to pay to replace. Yeah, because it's you know they've just bought it in the last few years. It's you know, good enough. And as much as the people like us who who obsess about this and would just go, if somebody said, "Here's the Apple TV," we're not going to even tell you the specs on it. Do you want to buy it or not? I, of course, I would just buy it, <laughs> right? But we're not normal. Normal people, and and it gets lost because people, normal people, do upgrade their phones a lot. It's just the way that it is. Phones take a beating. They they you know a lot of totally normal non nerd people upgrade their phone every two years. And it every three years the the number's even bigger. Um, people aren't like that with things like TVs, and yeah. you know we might do it just because it's Apple, but normal people wouldn't. So it wouldn't wouldn't make sense to say the only way to get the current Apple TV interfa- you know experience is to buy the entire Apple TV TV set. So yeah. they'd still have to make the box, and if they're still going to make the box, why not just make the box and just have that be it and hook it up to everybody's TV. Yeah, I, I think that's the way it's gonna it's gonna shake shake out. And there's a couple of other reasons I believe that now too. Um, and actually, it's funny. You, I I noticed this phenomenon because you know when when we shoot um, commercials in locations a lot and like in people's real homes, and a lot of the times we're looking for rich people homes. Uh, and around LA, a lot of people, a lot of rich people will rent out their homes for locations, and you can always see. Um, you can walk into a home of any era and see when the owners made their money because you can tell when their TVs were installed, like when their flat screens <laughs> were purchased and installed uh, on their walls because people don't replace their TVs that that often. So a lot of times it's very common to go walk into a, like a two, three million dollar house and all the flat screens are from, you know, 2006 or something uh, with like super huge bevel, you know, edges on the uh, you know flat screens didn't start getting attractive until very recently and that's the other reason that i don't think apple needs to make a tv is because you know like i'm I'm a big fan of vizio tvs vizio makes the the bezel so small that you can barely see it and if it's any smaller it's just a piece of glass and if apple makes a piece of glass then i'll buy that but otherwise i'm fine i don't need you know i don't need anodized aluminum or anything yeah i've seen that too um looking at houses like a couple months ago we were looking at maybe thinking about a moving mm-hmm. here and and the place we looked at had uh it was a beautiful house overall it didn't really work for us but it, overall it was a beautiful house um almost more like so beautiful like beautiful for like taking pictures of the house as opposed uh-huh. to actually <laughs> living there sure it but it had this well it had this big um Living room, kitchen sort of combination room with double height ceilings. It it was more like a lobby 
than like a room. It, mm-hmm. it almost was like the look more like the lobby to like a boutique, like a really boutique small hotel. And they had a beautiful fireplace and the fireplace all the way from the ground to the ceiling above it was um, like rocks set together, not quite bricks because they were like irregular, but they did all the work of finding rocks that perfectly fit together to form a Mm -hmm. column going up to the ceiling. And then set into the rocks above the fireplace was space to install your flat screen TV. Yeah. And it was like, it was like maybe like 46 inches. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what they had. They had like a 46 inch TV in there. And, you know, we're in there as a family looking at this house. And I just looked at Jonas and Jonas looked at me and he just shook his head. (laughs) He was disappointed. Right. But like, but also like they literally set the maximum size of a TV you could have in this room in stone. Yeah. Oh, Oh, they literally set it in stone. Well, you could take the TV out, but then the only logical place to put a TV in this room was there. I mean, yeah. you can put one, and you can put a TV anywhere. But you know, like there's certain rooms, like a living room type thing, where you go in, and it's like you can just tell if we're going to put a TV in this room, the TV is going to go there because it yeah. doesn't really, yeah. you know, for symmetry reasons or sure. other layout reasons. The only real place to put it would be on the wall above the fireplace, and yeah. it was set into the stone. There was like a cutout where you would put your flat screen TV, and I would huh. say the maximum TV that would fit in there was like maybe maybe 46, maybe even a little smaller. Right. Oh, that's a shame. So you could just yeah. find, you could just find out, you could, again, like you said, I bet, I don't know what time, what year the house was built, but I'm sure you could figure it out by finding out what year a 46 inch TV was like the best model the, you could the buy. The premium model. Right. <laughs> yeah. When that was the, that was the model that cost like $5,000. Exactly. Because that's what rich people will spend <laughs> on a TV. <laughs> um, but, and then the last point, and you alluded to this, but I think, I think it definitely bears repeating is, uh, if Apple sold a, let's say, a $2,000 TV set, it would be so awesome for a year. And then 12 months later, it's a, whatever, A10 or A11, whatever year you're imagining Apple comes out with this, it's A10 system on a chip is all of a sudden outdated. Mm-hmm. And nobody is going to buy a new TV set every year. People might buy a new Apple TV box that costs $100 every year mm-hmm. or every other year maybe just to keep up with you know, oh, we'll move the old one to the living room, put a new one in it, you know, or old one to the bedroom and put a new one in the living room. No one's going to do that with actual TV sets. No. And I do feel, I feel like there are tremendous advantages that Apple's going to bring to bear on this market. And when it comes to games and stuff like that, by having these A-series chips that get so much faster year over year. And that only makes sense if Apple TV is a box, not an actual TV set. Yeah, and it's going to be a while before this. The actual screens themselves have such a leap in technology that only one company is doing it, and you have to go with that company. Right? Something like stereo, you know, stereo without glasses or something like that. Otherwise, higher resolution, fine. You know, four K TV, you can't really tell a difference um, from you know a certain distance away from it. So the other ones are really are really good, and they're very cost effective. Yeah. You can get. Just a really, really good, you know, 50, 60 inch TV for four, three, four, five hundred dollars now. That's crazy. Blows my mind. All right, hold on, thought. Remind me when I'm going to take a break here and and thank a sponsor. I want to talk about 4K when we come back, and I'll forget. Um, (laughs) But you were, it's a funny coincidence, you were saying, wouldn't it be great if Apple just made a TV that was a piece of glass without a frame? Well, guess what? It doesn't play TV. But our first sponsors, Fracture, do that for your still photography. Um, 
you guys know Fracture. They have sponsored this show for a long time now on a frequent basis. They're the company. You send them. Uh, you go to their website. You give them your still photos, and you pick a size, and then they print them on the back right on a piece of glass. They just print the photo right on this glass, and then they mail it to you in a really cool little package, and then you hang this thing, hang these pictures up all over your house. And they're beautiful, and they're really high-quality prints. It's not a piece of paper stuck to the glass. It's not a frame. It's a piece of glass, and they have some kind of um, proprietary technology. They call it the Fractory down in uh, beautiful Gainesville, Florida, where they they, they print these things. Um so great, so convenient, so beautiful. No border. You don't need a frame around this. You don't need to put it in a frame. There is no frame around. It's just a piece of glass, border to border, with your pictures on it. Now, they want to thank all of you. They want me to thank all of you. The reason they keep sponsoring our show is that uh, you guys keep buying these these pictures from them. I don't blame you. They're great. We buy them, too. They want to thank you for your support. Um, but they want me to remind you that... Uh, if you're going to buy these as gifts for the holiday season, and you should because these are the, just the best gifts. If you've got kids or pets or something like that where you can just uh, give somebody in your life a picture of, of you know people in your family, great, great gift, really great. They want you to go ahead, just do it now. Take like half an hour, find the best pictures you've taken in the last year. Um and send them to Fracture. Do it now in early November because uh, they can, you know, they print these things fast, but they fall behind in the holiday season because, you know, most of us uh, procrastinate on buying our holiday gifts. And and they'll tell you when you go to the site, whenever you're, whatever day you're listening to this broadcast, um, you can go there and they give you like an estimated shipping date. And if you do it now in early November, it'll happen, no problem. You'll get it in a couple of days. But do it now because if you wait till like mid-December, you're going to run up to... Wow, you know, maybe or maybe not, it'll get to you before whatever holiday it is that you're uh, hoping to get it delivered by. So just do it now, and what a relief it'll be to get it off, you know, get it off your uh, back that you've, you know, got these all these people to get gifts for for the holiday season. It's an easy gift to buy. It is a gift that makes people really happy. Uh, but do it now. So here's the important part. You remember this code, Daring Fireball. Use that, and you'll get fifteen percent off if it's your first order. And go check them out at their website, which is uh, FractureMe.com. And remember that code, Daring Fireball, and you'll save some some dough on it. Nice. Good segue. Yeah, that was a great yeah, They weren't even scheduled to sponsor the show. I just figured I'd... <laughs> you just yeah. threw one in. Because <laughs> that's exactly when you said it. that. I thought, wouldn't that be cool if Apple... I was imagining in my mind uh, an edge-to-edge display with literally no bezel. Which you wouldn't want on a handheld device because you need something for your hands to rest your your fingers on. But it would be cool on a TV. Absolutely. And it feels like, you know, we can all sort of envision a future where screens are so ubiquitous that the materials that make them are, and the materials that make them are so, uh, you know, so so negligibly cheap that um, it's like Blade Runner time and, you know. Every single surface you look around at is glowing. Um, you were going to talk, and it's it, it's a race in time to 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 see whether that happens or whether we all have augmented reality displays on on our faces and and we don't even need physical screens anymore. Uh, friend of the friend of the 4K. show, yeah, four K. Friend of the show, Todd uh, Todd Ziri, uh, who works as they say in the industry. 
uh, it does uh, uh, visual effects. Um, uh, he is a listener of the show. He wrote in. Well, Guy and I were talking about 4K, and 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 I was, you know, maybe in response to my link to Abdel's thing about, hey, maybe Apple will wait till there's this industry transition to 4K. Um, to make their move into it. Maybe if they do do a TV set, that'll be the time they do it because people will be in a mood to upgrade or whatever. Um, Todd told me something I did not know, which is that an awful lot of movies, even very recent ones, uh, are not mastered in 4K. And you probably right. know a lot about this. Yeah, you know, we uh, 4K is a great um, capturing resolution. Um, and often you'll do it, you, you know, there are cameras... Uh, that shoot 4K or 6K, and oftentimes you'll shoot in 4K um, just so you have the extra resolution to play around with for um, in post. Like it makes it real easy to just push way in on a shot and get a close up where you hadn't planned a close up. You only shot a you know medium close up. Right. In other words, you can crop the image and still have enough pixels to to get a totally usable quality picture out of it. Right, but you're not actually mastering right. in 4K or finishing in 4K even or doing post work in 4Ks because that's still really, 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 really render intensive. Um, so, and especially you know most of the stuff that we do is for web anyway. So, why would 4K really right. matter? Right, I, I, I was I, I was vaguely aware of this, but I, I it never it didn't really occur to me. And and the point of this being that if you're waiting for everything to go 4K and you have 4K in your living room and have 4K you know, images, uh, streaming and stuff like that. It's not even an issue of the bandwidth of streaming the 4k. It's that the, there's just not, it just doesn't make a lot of it. The stuff isn't 4k anyway. Yeah. The, and the trade-offs are, are, uh, the benefits outweigh the, the I think it's going to ha- it's inevitable that it'll happen eventually, but, other, but other eventually way, yeah. might be a long time. And that the pipeline for the visual effects and stuff like that, like doing everything in 4k even if it, like you said, even if it was shot in 4K in a camera, doing everything for the effects and stuff like that in 4K, it's too it's too much of a computational overhead. Yeah. So so maybe don't um, hold your breath for 4K TV sets. Yeah, but maybe our eyes just need to evolve to be able to appreciate the resolution differently. I know that when we go back and look at, you know, standard def versus high def, then there's a real mark- remarkable difference. Um, and but but uh, it feels like the the diminishing returns started at 1080. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, and maybe it's, you know, so maybe, in other words, don't get your hopes up for 4K everything everywhere. And I, I think there's a lot of boo hissing going on that the, the this new Apple TV doesn't support 4K. And mm-hmm. I just feel like that's it. I, I sort of rolled my eyes at it. But now that I know a little bit more, I do so even more. Like, because there's no way that they could, they can't feasibly, uh, uh, send all of the stuff you get from iTunes, the iTunes, you know, movies and TV shows that you buy or rent or whatever, they can't send them in 4k. So why, what's the point if you're just going to be watching yeah. upscale 1080p stuff anyway, I'm looking forward to when they support stereo stuff, you know, 3d stuff. Cause I do, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy, I have a, I have a, a couple of the TVs are 3d. Uh, yeah, I have a projector, um, and it's a 3D projector, and you know, with glasses and the whole thing. And, and uh, there are actually with like with these smart TVs, there are apps out there that just uh, serve um, 3D content or or stream 3D content. Or the like, if you buy a Sony Blu-ray player, 
um, you can put it on your Wi-Fi network and it'll go and grab 3D content. And I know that 3D is sort of at a standstill right now. It, it peaked maybe a couple of years ago with the, the 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 number of movies that were being produced and distributed in 3D. But I don't know. I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. Even looking, I, like I'm staring straight ahead at the the city, the screensavers. Uh, it's the one with the Ferris wheel. I don't even know what city it is. is that the yeah, that's London. That's the London okay. Eye, the uh, the Ferris wheel. Right, and it's beautiful. Um, it's at Magic Hour or something, and I could see like this would look stunning in hmm. 3D. Um, but I, you know, the hunger isn't there yet. Uh, I hate 3D. I do. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah, but well. I don't. I don't dispute that you like it. And well, I do. I mean, I, we, but I, I part of that maybe I don't know if the if your eye issue. No, this it precedes that because my my okay. eye issue. I actually have not seen a 3D movie in the last whatever nine months since I've had the the eye issues. So I'm curious yeah. how that will actually work. Although we were at Disney and I watched. Oh, that you know what? That's funny that you say that. That's actually funny. I'd forgot. I had totally forgotten about this. So we were at Disney in July, and we were watching one of the attractions that was 3D, like a 3D movie. I forget which one. It might have been Philhar Magic. Do you guys have that out in California? No, I'm oh, not. Oh, it's a good one. Um, well, but, you know, it's like a little seven-minute 3D movie, and it's, you know, not even that new. I don't know, it's probably like 15 years old. Uh, and at the time, in July, my, you know, the vision of my binocular vision combined you know both my eyes open was really pretty crappy still it's still crappy but it's mm-hmm. gotten better um it's funny i almost cried during the movie and i've seen this attraction like i don't know like 15 20 times over the years it was the best i've seen since since my eye my left eye went bad mm-hmm. it was weird but i thought i actually went into it thinking i'll bet this is gonna i bet i'm not even gonna see it in 3d uh, hmm. And in fact, it was the opposite. It was actually the best I'd seen with both my eyes open. Uh, period. That's super cool. I uh, like. I also had like you know this. I I developed an eye problem in the same eye at the same time yeah. that you did. My my retina kind of exploded, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it's like recuperating now. But uh, you know, still like almost a year ago, this happened, and that was one of the first things that came to mind. Was oh. Sh- shoot, I'm not going to be able to appreciate, you know, stereo or like 3D movies or yeah, virtual, virtual reality, reality just as it's starting to come to the forefront. But um, what's interesting about that is that you, uh, because of where you put the display, when you put a VR, dis- a VR headset on your face, the display is literally like, you know, centimeters from your eye or millimeters. And um, my vision is my, 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 my near focus vision is all like a lot better than it, you know, mm-hmm. the distortion that happens from the retinal issue is a lot worse in the distance than it is near, near focus. So I can actually probably see better through, um, virtual reality display than I can in actual, in the yeah, world. Yeah. I have not tried a VR headset recently and I suspect that for me, I, I again, it's the show <laughs> monthly devolves into an ophthalmology show. 
but <laughs> the fact right. that, but uh, I have two fa- I have two issues with my left eye. One is I had a cataract and it was removed, and so I have an artificial, you know, like an old like what old people get in their eye is the focusing lens, and it's completely inflexible, completely inflexible because it's just an artificial, you know, plastic lens. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, when I have my contact lenses or my glasses on, I can't focus on anything within arm's length with that eye because I need reading glasses because it's effectively I have like a seventy year old's short vision. If I take my glasses off, I can see up close. I can focus with it really close. Then the second problem is with the retina where everything is distorted. When it is in focus, it's distorted. Uh, So my guess is for VR, my guess is that it will work for me and maybe it'll work very well. And just like watching 3D movies, it might actually be the best thing that I see, period. Um, But I think I'll have to take my glasses off. And I think if I'm wearing my contact lenses, it's not, I'm not going to be able to focus because it's so close. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Yeah, it'll take some yeah. experimentation, and you might. I mean, who knows if VR is um, prevalent enough, and they might be able to just custom. Yeah, I wonder uh, a headset right. to your right, to your May, or maybe there's some kind of calibration step I can go through that would that would handle that. Because that that actually yeah. has occurred to me too for VR. Because I did. I had this same thing that you and I have talked about this privately, but we, we went through these issues where we had this. You know, both of us had one eye go bad around the same time. And we're both sort of, you know, technology and movie and game enthusiasts. We're not really game, but you know what I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're just getting to the point where VR headsets are going to be commonplace. And all of a sudden, (laughs) I might might not be able to see (laughs) 3D. But I think, I actually think it might be the opposite. I actually think that I might be able to see better 3D with a headset than I see in a real living, breathing, three-dimensional world 3D. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Just bio biomechanics might just catch up with <laughs> our physical failings as we <laughs> age. That would be. Pretty I've said cool. this before. I've said on the show. I don't know if you've listened, but my problem with three D movies is that when I watch a three D movie, a three D feature film, uh, I find it mentally exhausting in a weird way, as though my brain is holding its breath through the whole thing, and I walk out inevitably, and I don't remember the second half of the movie. And then when I said this, it was just, you know, I got some links from people, and of course I don't have them handy here, but th- th- that's a real thing, that, that it, you know, it does, it taxes your brain in a way, and some peop- for some people it's different than others, you know, but for me it's definitely the case. And so that's why, like, at, at like, Disney World, uh, going into an attraction where there's a seven-minute 3D movie, I love it. And a lot of them, I can watch them over, you know, over and over and over again every year. And I enjoy it, and I, I find the 3D to be, you know, exhilarating and fun and everything it's supposed to be. And then for, like, watching an entire 90-minute, two-hour feature film, I, I find it, uh, I, I, I just find it, like, like, I go into, like, a blackout. Like, I just come out, and I'm like, what the hell happened there? Yeah, you know, you can't really think as well because the the light is being cut essentially in half, and we, um, it's like being a, you know, you know how it's like, I don't know, if you're walking around outside and it's nighttime, you're fine. If you're walking around outside and it's daytime, you're fine. But if it's like that mm. middle, if it's if the sun, if it's sundown and it's not quite day or night, then your brain is trying to figure out what sense they, to they make They taught the world. me in driver's ed that that's actually the most common time of the day for car accidents, by far. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You, 
<laughs> like the way they, you know, like anything a driver's head, they scare the crap out of you. They made it seem like if you're driving at sundown, that you you will like most likely die. You probably won't be. You will be decapitated. <laughs> that is when you will be. De- that's the decapitation. Right. But hour. it's a combination of like you said, like it's your eyes have are, are like adjusted. Your eyes are on daylight, so they don't see so good. Whereas opposed to like in the middle of the night when it's it's totally dark, your eyes are fully dilated and the whatever else goes on in there to adjust to low light. It's all set for low light. And then the other factor yeah. they said was that lots of people don't turn their headlights on yet because they don't need the headlights yeah. to see, but the headlights are there so you can see them. And people don't know that. Right. And so you're, um, you're you know, die. so I, I I went to you definitely will. <laughs> I went to this um I went to a screening. I think it was like the Directors Guild Theater, so here in LA, and because John August was a part of this panel on like technology and film or something, it was really cool. And they showed a 3D projection, and I don't remember what it was. It was maybe the Star Trek movie that had just come out. But the the projector that they have, the system that they have in this theater, is so advanced that it doesn't cut mm. any of the light. Um, and that made all the difference in the world between good 3D, like yeah. what 3D is supposed to be and what most of us think of it is, which is, you know, periodically through the film, you're like sort of taking the glasses off and looking at what a, what the picture lo- looks like for real. And you realize how much brighter it is as yeah. it's coming out of the projector. And you're like, damn, why can't it look like this? Why can't it be right. this bright? Um, so. Who knows when that technology is going to advance to the point that it's not a terrible experience anymore. Yeah. Pretty so did you get tickets for Star Wars yet? I didn't. Um, but, you know, I'm not really part of the, the whole frenzy yeah. as much as I think most, most you, people are. <laughs> you only just saw Star Wars the first time, like a handful of years. Yeah, I might not have. I might not have seen the whole movies <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> I can't really be too sure. Uh, I laugh because for those of us who are really, really looking forward to it, you, it's like uh, you have to like buy these tickets in advance or else you're like stuck waiting a week or two. Um, yeah. And uh, like on the uh, ATP podcast, John Syracuse, an episode ago, uh, you know, he, he and his wife were uh, both trying to get these tickets for the opening day and his wife and, and the, the Fandango website was totally, you know, it was like the old days of the Apple store or like when you buy your iPhones, it just crapped out. I mean, mm-hmm. it just absolutely was, it was like given like weird, like PHP errors and, and HTTP error codes that you never even see. It was like, you know, HTTP error code <laughs> five seventeen server, <laughs> server, uh, you know, fainted. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't know that was in the HTTP spec. Uh, H, you know, HTTP error code six oh seven. Server went for a drink. Uh, but anyway, his wife got through, got some tickets, but they were three D. And it's like you don't want to, you know. It was like, well, she got what she could get, but it's like he didn't want to see three yeah. D. But I heard, I heard him say it was actually pretty smart. I can actually see doing this where he's, you know, he's fixed it, he's rectified it so that like his opening weekend tickets for you know taking his kids and then he's going to go with some friends. They're all two D, um, but that he might go see if if the movie's any good, if if it holds up and it's worth seeing again, then maybe if he goes see it a third time, he will go see it in three D um, because he's already seen it. And I could see, I could totally see doing that. My feelings on 3D are such that if the Star Wars movie is is good, and we decide to go see it again, I would go see it in 3D because I feel like that would also alleviate my I don't know what the hell's going on because I'll already know what's going on because I saw it in 2D. 
Yeah, that's interesting that 3D will get in the way of the story for yeah. you in a way. And it, uh, it's totally counterintuitive. I would think it's the opposite that everybody's clamoring for the 3D. Well, that's and- it's definitely the case that there are way more 3D showings. Like the 2D is sort mm-hmm. of the niche showing, and it's funny because I, I mean, some places I don't know. I don't know if they always charge more for 3D. I know they charge more for IMAX in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually cheaper, but it seems like it's sort of the it's sort of the uh, I don't know. Uh, it's the one that, if you care, you're going to the 2D. Like, it seems... Yeah, the purest, yeah. the Star Wars purest will go to 2D. Do you, and you don't think that that scarcity is artificial? You don't think that they'll somehow miraculously op- open up a, you know, a few thousand more seats the day after it premieres? I, I don't know. I wonder. I do. It's, it just seems weird to me. I, it's like one of those things where it's like I don't go... Ever, ever since I had a kid, I, did, I don't go to the cinema as much as I used to. I used to go, you know, it was like the default thing to do on any Friday or Saturday night is, you know, let's go find a movie. It wasn't even like I knew what movies are out. It was like, let's just go see the the movie in a theater that is looks like the most appealing at the moment. So we don't go to movies that often that much anymore. We watch a lot more of them at home, yeah. um, which, of course, will bring us back to Apple TV. But it still mm-hmm. seems weird to me to buy movie tickets in advance. It seems to me like if a movie's popular, and then this is I'm just being a curmudgeon, but it just feels to me mm-hmm. like you should you should not be able to buy tickets in advance. You should have to go wait in line. <laughs> well, we do it here. We do it here, and in probably a lot of bi- um, big cities with the ArcLight or um, stadium seating theaters, because you like I know exactly what seat and row I want to sit in in the theater, and um, so at the ArcLight you can pick your seat in advance. And that's always very important. Yeah, I feel like it should be one way or the other. It should either be all the way to where you get reserved seats. And we have we have two two sets of tickets for the Star Wars. Uh, you know, the first night, I think it's general seating. And then we have another one, um, like a Saturday matinee at a place with reserved seating, which I'm really looking forward to. Because um, I'm kind of worried that I'll, the opening night one, we're, we're not going to get good seats. But... Hmm. I love the idea of Syracuse just in a in a panic, in a sweat panic that he can't get tickets. And then he remembers, oh, my God, uh, Fandango has a watch app. And then he just launches the watch app. <laughs> and it just shows him a movie quote. <laughs> and it's just like a big, it's a big old fuck you to those movie fans. <laughs> <laughs> just has a quote it's just like a it's a quote from dumb and dumber and a guy you know with his middle finger up <laughs> at you <laughs> all right let me take another break here and uh and we'll get back to talking about apple tv and let me tell you about automatic you guys know automatic that's another longtime sponsor of the show they make a really cool connected car adapter Uh, I call it a dingus. I think it's better to call it a dingus. They call it an adapter. It plugs into your car's diagnostic port. Uh, Every car since 1996 has one of these ports. It's a standard port. It's like the car equivalent of like HDMI or USB or something like that. Uh, Standard port. Everybody, all these cars have them. I mean, if your car's older than 96, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I can't help you. But anything since, you just plug this thing in. It pairs with your phone, and then you use Bluetooth. It connects to your phone, um, and it makes your driving experience better. What does it do? Well, one thing it does is because it is a diagnostic port. Anything that goes wrong with your car, anything that puts like a, a get service, you know, it says like service, you know, get you overdue for service A three. Well, you want to know what service A three is? 
uh, the automatic will tell you what it is. If like an engine light comes on, instead of just like engine light, go go get help, it'll tell you exactly what's wrong. So you can tell, oh man, this is you know totally serious, or oh this isn't that bad. I can just you know wait till tomorrow and I'll take it in tomorrow. In plain English, it'll tell you exactly what's going on instead of just having like a on or off you know check engine come on. That's really cool. Uh, it gives you a log of your trips. It tells you, if you want, how well you're driving in terms of your efficiency. So you can set goals for um, what kind of fuel efficiency you're looking for. And it can tell you live whether you're doing a good job or not or whether you're you know, a little heavy on the gas. Um, it can even do things like uh, make emergency calls. God forbid if you ever got into like a car accident or something like that and couldn't call yourself, uh, it can take care of that for you. Uh, because it has GPS or your phone has GPS, at least, uh, it can do things like remind you where you parked your car. So go to like a big stadium or something like that. And you can't remember where the hell your car is. It'll tell you where it is. Uh, really, really convenient. They've added so much stuff, uh, over the last year, they call it, they have like what they call the app store for automatic. And they have over 20 apps available that you can get. So here's an example, nest, you got a nest thermometer in your house. Well, then you can connect it with your automatic and have it set to do something when you get within, say, 10 miles of your house. So you're driving home, have it set up so that uh, when you're seven miles away, turn the air conditioning off or on, I guess it would be, or turn the heat on in the winter or something like that. Really cool stuff that you can do like that. They integrate with IFTTT, if this, then that which is a really cool website that gives you these recipes where you can hook things up to, you know, all sorts of things. Really, really cool. Great way to geek out with your car. Um, really, really fun. It's, it, everybody should have one of these things. And here's the best part. It's normally just a hundred bucks, which is cheap in and of itself. There is no service fee. You just buy this thing for a hundred bucks, stick it in your car, pair it to your phone and you can use it. Never have to pay another nickel. But here's the best part. Uh, use their code. Go here and go automatic.com slash the talk show. Spell it out, the talk show. And you'll save 20% off. That's 20 bucks just for being a listener of this show. Ships in two business days and they have a 45-day return policy. No questions asked. So buy it for 80 bucks. You have 45 days to decide if it's worth it or not. And if it's not, just send it back. But you won't send it back. It's that cool. So my thanks to Automatic. Go check them out at automatic.com slash the talk show. All right. What else is on your mind with Apple TV? Well, you know, sort of like I, I, I'm into the bigger picture stuff um, because this, uh, when you, I, I think the most interesting thing to do with it is really to browse through the app store and figure out what it means to be an app in in the context of of this device, because um, it's not the same as what an app means on the App Store for iOS or for the for the iPhone or iPad. It's not the same as the Watch. It's not the same as the Mac App Store. It's something new, and I think that people haven't really wrapped their heads around. What yeah, that and means I think yet. it was the tr- I think it was the most true with the iPhone early on. Like, I don't think the iPad quite had this problem because by the time the iPad came out, the basic idea of, well, it's a big iPhone was close enough that developers kind of got it. And and it wasn't sure. this period where people didn't know what an iPad app was. But with the iPhone, there definitely was. And in the early days, um, a lot of them were just sort of like, I don't know, like websites, like websites that were packed onto a phone. 
And yeah. it took a while before um, people could figure this out. Yes, and 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 it's funny just because the what the first thing we always do with a, a new sort of medium is like try to translate the old medium to the new one. That 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 goes for you know stage to screen and or stage to yeah you know, movies to radio yep. to TV. Um, that's just yeah, the way, the way it that works. when you look at like technology. an old you know like a Jackie Gleason era TV show, it really just looks like they stuck a camera in front of a uh, stage. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that they weren't and, funny, and it doesn't mean that they weren't great performers, but it just it they just hadn't really mastered the medium yet because they haven't reframed it or they haven't re, re, they haven't developed the new language around right. it yet. Um, what was so one of the revelatory things for me browsing through the app store when I got when I set it up was uh, like I saw like, oh there's a fireplace app and then you know skipped ahead a few pages. Oh, there's another fireplace app. And then there's just like this t- t- downpour of like a fireplace apps. There's like a million of them already. And it dawned on me that the fireplace app is really like the, the fart app for the Apple TV. <laughs> Except that it's charming. It's meant to be ch- charming <laughs> yeah. and soothing and to put you in a good mood and, and maybe let you and, and a loved one relax and just enjoy. You know, maybe that's something you put on your TV while you, you both enjoy a novel or something like that. <laughs> That's right. It is romantic, and uh, you know you can go to YouTube and and find channels that are all fireplace all the time or, or whatever aquariums there and everything. But it tells you exactly what this device is for, and it's for very very passive activities. And it's not it's not for anything else. It's not even it's it's not for, to be meant to be meant like to be used as a soundboard. It's not for anything active. And I cracked up when I saw that PCALC had a. At a giant, <laughs> just, giant Apple TV app, which is like who, like okay, who is really doing calculations on their on their TV? It's hilarious to me, and it's 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 almost like it's almost like a it's it's a an exercise exercise in absurdism to put a calculator app on a on a TV, and I'm glad they did it. It's awesome, um, but you're not supposed, you know, to, you're I, not. And there's he's under no impression that there are kids doing their homework in the living room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dialing yeah. the math in on PCALC on the TV. But it it helps you like sort of redefine where, yeah, I guess redefine what an app is in this context. And an app is a, a mechanism for delivering content, like very very passive content. Um, I guess like cool, cool content. Television is always supposed to be a, a, be a uh, have been a cool medium in McLuhan terms, um, right? Yeah, in McLuhan terms, meaning you can sort of step away from it and you don't have to stare intently or be active while you're using it. And um, so it's really like the most fascinating thing to me as a person who watches media evolve is seeing all the network, the major network apps, um, seeing that. You know, FX has a really cool app that all their shows are on, or um, Fox or NBC, and that all the networks are like now they're pretty much on board with this. There are a couple that are dinosaurs and are late to the game and like won't enable their content yet through streaming devices, but for the most part, um, they're on there. And you know what? What you have to do is you have to subscribe to a, a cable provider. Um, which I did when we when we moved into our house, I set up a cable subscription at the lowest amount you could possibly buy into, which is like I don't know twenty bucks a month or something, twenty thirty bucks a month, um, just so you can enter that code to, that unlocks the the channel 
in, in the form of an app. Um, but the, and then like, so, okay, so that's fascinating that now we can get these, these channels of content that used to be the big three, that used to be the only thing on the whole televised media landscape. They're now accessible in this little box, um, time shifted for our enjoyment, but that they're right next to any other possible app channel of media, you know, content that the kid next door could be making that literally anybody could make an app, set up a camera, make content, make, make dumb YouTube videos, put it in an Apple TV app. And it's right there next to ABC's app. I think that's fascinating. That's evolution. It it feels to me like people are missing that. And and maybe there's other ways, maybe there's a way to do that on Roku or Roku, whatever, how you pronounce it. Uh, Roku. uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's been around for it's been around for a while. We shouldn't like beat around right. that that bush and pretend that these are that Apple's the first person to enable it. Um, but I feel like the way and and the the experience that Apple has with apps with an app store and the familiarity that anybody who's used an iPhone or an iPad has with the idea of okay, you go to the app store and you tap a thing to buy a thing. And it asks you, are you sure? And then it, then there it is. They get it. And yeah. that anybody can build it. And the only thing you're going to get, you know, the only thing that's going to keep you out of it if you want to make your own app for Apple TV is, you know, whether it's like inappropriate content, um, mm-hmm. you know, but anything that's just like a kid with a YouTube channel, if you want to, you know, also put, like you said, you want to put your videos into their own app and have an app on the home screen, there you are right next to HBO Go. Yeah, I don't think they. It feels like they can't really censor content. Well, they'll. You know, I think I don't. You know, I saw one thing that got filtered out was there's a, I forget what it's called, like this something something computer club in in Europe, and it's like a hackers mm-hmm. group, and their videos are about like how to like jailbreak iPhones and you know uh, and maybe mm-hmm. other device and other devices too, and Apple rejected mm-hmm. their Apple TV app. And, you know, and, you know, that's not, it's obviously, it's not porno. I mean, I don't even know what, you know, like, there's the the argument that they're going to censor stuff that would be more than R-rated for sexual content or something like that. And I think Mm -hmm. clearly they would, they would, uh, they would censor things for extreme violence, you know, and and famously, you know, this is a famous, you know, and it's like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Like, they've... um, they have censored some apps over the years for, uh, I don't know how best to call that. It's, is it politics? But like, like if there if there's like an app that like uh, there was like an app that tells you notified you every time that an American drone killed somebody somewhere in the world, and hmm. that Apple rejected that. Hmm. Too incendiary. Yeah, it's like they just they they just want to stay out of it, you know, and it's hmm. you know. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that's going to last very long. Well, but the idea on the media. Well, maybe Sorry, it will on Apple TV though, because there is no one of the things about Apple TV is because it doesn't have a web browser. There's no open way around it. So, like the the counter mm. the the counter argument for something like the iPhone and okay, they won't put the drone. You know the the you know what have the U.S. drones done today? App in the App Store, but that's not keeping you from learning about it on your iPhone because you can just use Safari and go to a website and see it you know somewhere else you just can't have an app in mm-hmm. their store that their store has some level of curation and they're going to keep some objectionable stuff which is more than just sexual content 
And again, I think that's a debate to be had. If I if it were up to me, Apple would put the drone app in the app store and let you know let people make their own decisions. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, maybe they think of it differently because in a piece of software is a tool, or you know, an app you know, in the context of the iPhone is a tool for delivering. Well, I think it's you. just that they want to stay away from. It is, I think bottom line is that it is politically charged and that you would say that mm-hmm. basically it is uh, more or less a left-leaning position to say, uh, to question the U.S.'s, even just to question the U.S.'s use of drones around the world. And it's more of a right-leaning uh, position to support it and say, you know, if there's some collateral damage, that's that's what it costs to keep our country safe, to, you know to wrap an extremely complex issue into very basic things. It is, there is a sort of left-right divide on this. And, you know, I could just see why Apple wants to stay out of it. I would, I I get it. I mean, they, they, they want to make the world a better place and they want to play some role as the moral, as the moral center for. Right. I I would bet. I, in fact, I would wager extremely heavily. I would wager thousands of dollars that if somebody submitted an Apple TV app that, uh, showed, you know, you know, had or on either side of it, really, it was, but was devoted to say abortion politics that they're not going to put that in the app store. Sure. And, you know, it doesn't matter which side it was on. I don't think they're going to put it in because I don't think I think they're going to say that's not the type of content that the app store is for. So it's more than just sex. Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb would be like if your cable company lets it through, then Apple Apple should let it. Yeah, through. maybe I don't know, but I think it's all edge cases. I think for the most part, though, anything you might reasonably want to put on Apple TV, you're gonna you could put on Apple TV if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it really just opens up a. These apps are just portals for media, and it should just open up a portal to whatever kind of media you want to dump in there. It's, it's, I don't know why. That kind of sucks if they're policing, if they're policing it like that. I don't feel too. I don't either, that. but I I understand that there's some kind of line that has to be drawn at some place where Apple. Uh, there is a line to be drawn that I can get behind. I really, you know, yeah. you remember the old uh, faces of death videos. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I laugh because when I used to rent them as a teenager, we did. We just sat there and watched them and laughed and laughed and laughed. But uh, oh god, I I was younger when we rented them as, for slumber parties, and we didn't laugh. We shot our pants. <laughs> well, we did it first, but then once you know, there's <laughs> as you as as I progressed as a teenager, we went from like ashen faced. Oh my god, I <laughs> yeah. to just laughing and I, if you don't know i forget how many they made but there was a series of home videos called faces of death and they were effectively snuff films and they had footage yeah. of you know terrible things happening to people and and but they it, it, some of them were clearly fake though it was sort of like a mix of like oh my god that looked real i think that was actually a car accident that killed somebody and then the next one, there was one where people were eating monkey brains. And, I, you know, I think the monkey brains one was clearly, you know, pro wrestling. It was it was fake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the genre, and I found this out re- recently, um, the genre of that, of Faces of Death, the genre that uh, Faces of Death came out of was something like Mondo, uh, Mondo, like sensationalist filmmaking, where, and I think it came... Like there was a lot of it being made in in Italy, I I believe in the in like the in the seventies and early eighties, 
um, where they would just, it was just a, just a, a bacchanal of sex and violence in these sort of pseudo documentaries. Like, I don't know, everything to like, think of in today's media, wherever you would go for the most, the maximum amount of titillation of sex and violence. And that's where they would get their rocks off back then is, is in um, movies like faces of death. I don't even remember whether there were, um, you know, boobs in faces of death, but there probably were, there had to have been. I don't remember. I, I, maybe they were, I do remember feeling a very weird, like low level form of guilt after having watched them. Absolutely. They were essentially snuff films. We just didn't know. Like They were very, very fake. You go back and yeah. watch it now, and you can see all the seams and everything, all the fake yeah. appendages. But back then, we didn't And know they were definitely passed them. off as being real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I just, I oh, just remember, I guess the guilt that I felt, more or less, was that it didn't really matter whether they were real or not. Or it mattered, because it, in a sense, it was almost like I hoped that they weren't real, because it would be great to know that nobody died in that horrible way. But the guilt was that it didn't really matter, because either way, it, it's the fact that they, I was thought some of them could be real, and that I enjoyed, I, had, I drew some kind of... You were getting yeah, entertainment. Yeah, I found it entertaining, it. and my yeah. friends and I were collectively... Uh, you know, having a, a a good time watching them, and it just felt like yeah. the, it made me a terrible person. <laughs> and that's how I feel when I watch a horror movie. And I don't watch horror movies, but that's absolutely how I feel. Is like, why should I be getting enter- any enter- entertainment value from this person's pain, even if it's a even if you person. know it's fictional? Yeah, yeah. I just well, anyway, that's it. not getting on Apple TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it won't be. Um, just on YouTube, I guess. <laughs> But um, like, do you ever have you thought have you thought about you you know the the anecdote about um, Steve on in his on his hospital bed and basically like I forget what the line is but basically telling and I forget even Isaacson who he told but I did he tell yeah. Isaacson I I think I cracked yeah. I cracked it well do you, do you think that, that applied here does it, do you think that it had anything to do with the Apple TV uh, I don't think so. It's such a weird line, yeah. and it's such a like it because it, it's so tempting, right? It's almost like, I, and I don't doubt. Like, well, I have so many complaints about Isaacson's book, but I, you know, I, I mm-hmm. do not for a second question his integrity. So I'm sure that if sure. he says that's what Jobs told him, I think he said we. I don't think he said I, but either way, it was it was oh, either we've, we've it, yeah. first person plural or first person singular. But that we, you know, we I think we finally cracked it. Maybe he said I. I'm not sure, but uh, it, that's all he said. He didn't tell him one damn thing about what cracking it meant. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, could you craft a better, like, yeah, that would just, and then yeah. everybody can just fill that in with whatever their pet dream of what Apple TV could be is, whether it's yeah. whether it's yeah. you know the actual TV set or whether it's. Apple replacing cable with a you know fifteen dollar a month bundle that lets you stream all the major all the major cable networks whenever you want, um, or this you know an app store type app, you know the future of TV is apps type thing. Who knows you know what the hell he meant? I don't think that this yeah. is it though. Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it does feel like it was it was set in sort of a fever dream right. state, or uh, but 
I don't know. There's a, there's a part of me that idealizes this, uh, the device so much that thinks that this might, this might kind of be what he was talking about. And I think my thinking is this, that what is like, what is the biggest problem that Apple seems to have had in bringing, bringing media to us? Um, like iTunes in itself as an invention was pretty influential. It was pretty impactful in the state of technology. But people complain about iTunes constantly, and people complain about the iTunes store constantly, and it kind of sucks. The whole process sucks. And even with all of the resources that Apple has, they haven't really figured out how to do that very one simple elemental thing, which is deliver us the media that we will use to enrich our lives. You know, you can argue that they nobody has figured that out very well. The cable companies still own it, still own the ecosystem for the most part. Um, there have been technology companies built up around delivering us media in smaller channels and smaller formats, um, but for the most part, not much of it is compelling. You could say that YouTube is has been the most uh, influential. Um, you know, I guess network of, of delivering media to us, um, like on a, on a really, really large scale, but in terms of like making an actual market for that and a marketplace for that, where anybody can be connected, any audience member can be connected with the media that's going to enrich them the most and be, um, speak to them the most specifically. Hmm. And, uh, I believe that 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 the Apple TV might be the closest that they've come to that. Um, everything else I feel like is a tool, uh, a, a tool for work, a tool for productivity or play or whatever it is, you know, things that you use to do other things. But I think this device specifically is used to enrich our lives because Steve, if anyone knew the benefit of using the world's media and art and, you know, recorded art to, to enrich his life. I, I can't help but think if I have to think what he meant by let's assume that he wasn't in in like a you know fever dream like you said that he really meant it I I can't help but think that it's this other shoe that's yet to drop which is an an Apple branded streaming video package pretty much let's I I guess like the doing for TV what Apple Music does for music which is that you pay a monthly fee and you get to watch all these shows from all these participating cable networks, you know, yeah. and TV networks. Um, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that this is step one to that. Right. And everybody, I mean this, and, and one reason, and there's so much stuff that Apple does that is secret and, you know, and they try to keep everything completely secret, but the stuff with the media ne negotiations where they have to ne talk to all these TV networks, it all leaks mm -hmm. like a sieve because these TV network guys in the music people they don't keep anything secret and they just go like probably like 30 seconds after eddie q leaves the room they're on the phone talking to people at the wall street journal about the meeting they just had with apple <laughs> um i mean so that it, it's it's a it's not a fact that they're going to do it because who knows maybe they'll never quite pull it together but it's it's it is it's certain as a fact that they're trying to do it and i have heard and i know i'm not the only person but you know they're Long, you know, a lot of people have heard that over the last year, as they've clearly, you know, got closer and closer to being able to ship this Apple TV, the one with a new remote and an app store and 
not just built on iOS, but using these little quote unquote apps that were just XML files to configure, you know, what the content was and just, you know, put a list on the left and preview on the right and up, down, left, right, and that's it. But an actual honest to God iOS app, you know, UI kit, um, app store where you can do games and everything from games to content. Um, that there was debate within Apple as to whether they could or should ship that this Apple TV before they have the TV uh, content package in place. Yeah, you know, and that huh. there were people, and I don't want to say who, and I don't want to say at the executive level that Eddie Q was on one side and Phil Schiller was on the other, but that effectively somewhere in their divisions, where Eddie Q's team that does the, the you know negotiations with you know like the the TV networks and stuff like that. At, you know, some of those people were the ones who were pushing for, hey, we, you know, there's no use shipping this until we have this in place. And then it was a product side people who were like, this is really cool. We've got a really cool thing here. We, yeah. you know, we can ship this and we can add the streaming thing when it's ready. Yeah, and I 100% agree with those people, with the product people, because they do. They have, and you got to lay the groundwork for something like that. You cannot reinvent television with one product, with one product launch. That's essentially in its version, what, two or three, yeah. 2.0, 3.0, um, depending on how you look at the, the first iterations. But the, this this had to be a multi-decade pro- project. And um, yeah, absolutely. It's so Apple to have released the device itself with the rudimentary version of the App Store, um, you know, to, to just lay the groundwork and mentally prepare uh prepare the consumer base for this so that enough people have them enough people understand what they are and then they launch the service and then it's like oh thank god one box that has everything that i need right i totally agree with that and i really am let's hold this thought i want to talk about it but have you i i feel like people are selling the new remote control short yeah, All right. it's fantastic. Let's talk about the remote control next, because this is like one of my complaints about what at one weekend people's take on Apple TV. But I want to sure. tell you about uh, another longtime sponsor of the show. Honestly, it is it could be a great holiday gift, although it's the sort of gift that you cannot give somebody and not give them something else. It's the sort of thing you should do for people in your family in addition to a regular gift. And I'm talking about Backblaze. Backblaze is online backup for your Mac. Uh, anyone can backup data. There's all sorts of uh, backup services. Backblaze is the one. And again, they're a longtime sponsor of the show. But if they had never sponsored the show, it is still the one that I would use for me personally and the one that I would recommend for everybody in my family. Um, here's how it works. You install their app on your Mac. And it's written by former ex or ex Apple engineers. This is truly native code. It's not some kind of thing that you have to run using Java and install a Java VM. Uh, it's real Mac code, written you know real Mac user interface. You, you access it right through system preferences. You install it. There's a free trial period. You don't even have to pay right away. And what it does is it just backs everything on your Mac up to Backblaze's servers. Everything. And it doesn't matter. It's not just your startup drive. If you have external drives connected, it'll back those up too. There is no limit and there is no catch. It's not like, well, you say there's no limit, but really the limit's one terabyte. And after a terabyte, you got to pay more. Nope. 
The only real catch on size, like let's say if you have eight terabytes of stuff on an external drive, is that it'll take longer for the initial upload. That's it. That's the only catch is that there's no way that they can magically make eight gigabytes go from your Mac to their servers in the cloud faster than your internet connection. They can't do magic. But other than that, uh, it works great. And then once you have the full upload, it just runs in the background. You'll never notice it. It does, doesn't make your CPU run real fast or anything like that. It just runs quietly, silently in the background and just keeps pushing your stuff up to the cloud. And then when you need it, uh, like let's say disaster strikes and uh, your hard drive crashes, and that's it. That's your only backup. It shouldn't be your only backup, but let's say it is. Well, guess what? You you don't have to download everything. You could just order a USB hard drive from them. They'll sell you the USB hard drive at cost, more or less. You can get it overnighted, and the next day, you've got a USB hard drive delivered to your house that has everything from your Backblaze account right there. Uh, but 25% of their restores, 25% are just one file at a time. So that's the situation where you're, let's say, in a meeting and you're away from your computer and something comes up and it's like, you've got a file on your Mac that would be perfect right now. You, if you had it, it would be useful right now. You can just log on to any computer with a web browser, log into your Backblaze account and get one, you know that one file that you need right there from any computer anywhere in the world. So 25% of the restores they do are exactly like that. Uh, they have iPhone and Android apps that let you do the same thing, access any of your files anywhere in the world. They have backed up over 150 petabytes of total data, and they have restored over 10 billion files for their customers. It is a great service. It is great software, and it will make you feel so much better having it installed on your computer. And uh, if you install it, like just when you go home for the holidays, put it on your parents' computer and just sign up, sign, sign your parents up for it. You know, it's not going to set you back that much. It's five bucks per month per computer for unlimited backup, five bucks per computer. That's the, that's it. So just, you know, give it to your parents or your, you know, somebody else in your family, just sign them up, pay for it. Uh, and someday it's, it, they're going to thank you a lot because some, you know, eventually every hard drive goes bad. So, Stop putting it off. Go get backed up at backblaze.com slash the talk show. The free trial, by the way, does not require credit card. <laughs> I've got one more sponsor coming up. We'll talk a little bit about the remote, but I got one more sponsor. I'm very excited about the next sponsor. It's a new sponsor. And it's it's gonna be groundbreaking. Because I have to I have to read a a, a legal disclaimer. Oh, you're going to do it right now? No, I'm not. I just I wanted to set the stage and have, you know, I want to. <laughs> that's awesome. Groundbreaking and a legal disclaimer. I'm, yeah. That's a good tease, and I'm excited. All right. I have one complaint about the new remote, and that is that okay. I, I, and, and, and thousands of people have made it. I think it's a mistake that it is symmetric vertically. Me too. I think it's Me a too. mistake. And I do think that it looks better that way. I think it looks great. And I think that functionally, it, it is a bad idea. And the bad idea for the obvious reason that people started saying, I think it's a bad idea that this is symmetric vertically on September 9th when they first showed it to us and before people had ever even touched it, which is that you won't know which way is the right way to hold it in the dark. Yeah. And not only that, even if you do know that which way is the right way up, the buttons, uh, the, the buttons are too similar, like the circular buttons on the left are are all identical te- uh you know to the touch yeah and they didn't even put a little nipple on one of them so you could actually in the yeah. dark feel which one 
is uh which one is Siri? I don't even know. No, you know I'm looking at it. It looks like the Siri button might have a little indentation. Oh, I can't feel it. I can't feel it at all. I didn't even know until I looked at it. But they're they're the identically sized circles, and I can't tell you the number of times I've already in the, in the last three days uh, hit Siri when I meant to hit menu. Right, and that, so that's there's two problems there actually. So the one problem is if you're holding it upside down, you'll be swiping on a dead area, you know, because mm-hmm. it's actually the bottom. <laughs> I did of the that remote, today, and yeah. nothing happens. Um, and the other problem, and for me, this is actually more common because I'm, I'm I've gotten careful about putting it down facing the right way. But right, if you just take a guess and you just feel around button and you don't know if it's menu. You have to like, it, the only way to be sure is if you feel around first and see, oh, I'm at the top of the buttons or I'm at the middle of the buttons. But with so few buttons, each button should be like a different size. Or I didn't think about that, but put like a little nipple on like they do on the F and JKs on the keyboard. Right, exactly. Um, also, there's no, the, the the metaphor of like one side of the, uh, you know, the bottom is glossy and the top is matte. That doesn't really apply to any, um I don't know, like mental model of which side should be a trackpad and which side is not active. Well, and because the, other- the iPhone, when you swipe the glossy part, like, yeah, and yeah, it- I didn't think about that, but that's true, right? That is actually, a, I didn't even think about that, but that's an outstanding point where the glossy feel is what you swipe on an iPhone. Yeah. Um, the other thing I thought of, and this was a complaint I saw, some people defending the sim- symmetry of the remote which is that that tactile difference that if you feel the shiny you know it's upside down you know to turn it around my problem with that is that if you just decide to go by touch of the is it glossy or matte if you have it held the right way and you start rubbing your thumb over the matte part something happens yeah. right away as soon as yeah. you touch it something happens right away in always rub the bottom always rub the in bottom. general but then if you have it upside down and rub the bottom and you have it backwards something will happen in then other words screwed. It, okay. you know, you'll, you'll immediately start scrubbing forward or backward in the video stream or something like that now yeah. the fact that something happens as soon as you start touching it is actually to me part of uh, and again i know it's an abused term but part of what makes it feel magic and so if sure. you know you have it held in your hand the right way and you just want to start scrubbing around fast forward or rewind in the video, it is marvelous that you just touch it and just move. And it just is instantly, it feels live in a way. And it really does remind me of of the original iPhone. And when you first just started moving up or down in a, in a scrolling list or on a web page and it just moved instantly and it just tracked your finger and it just felt like so much more alive than anything I'd ever scrolled before. The, this remote feels alive in a way that like nothing I've ever felt before. Cause you just touch it and it, and it, and it affects what you see live. But in terms of deciding whether the, or, the remote is in your hand the right way, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Still an attractive remote though. <laughs> it, it, it is <laughs> really attractively designed. <laughs> Think back to the first, the first version of the Apple remote, the white one, the, the little white chiclet. I remember it well. I remember it. it and I mean, it still had the still had the innovation of the of the wheel, you know, like the the circular buttons. Right. It was it was really cleverly designed. It just wasn't very attractive. Right. But the one thing that that design had, my problem with the old remote was mainly the fact that it was IR, and I hate IR. Mm-hmm. And 
But like if they had done a Bluetooth version of that, it wouldn't be as good as this. And I've heard some people say they could have just done a D-pad, you know, up, down, left, right, and it would have been just as good as this. And I totally disagree with that. I really yeah. do. I feel like the momentum you can get from swiping, uh, I, I still like. I'm feel still getting good at it. I'm getting like my sea legs on on how fast to go and stuff like that. But I'm already good enough that I, I it's so good and it's so much better than click 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 to go over. So much better. Uh, so much better. It's it's not. It's um, it just feels like multi-dimensional. It right. just it feels like you're in you're in in volumetric space, even though there's no 3D touch to it yet. But right. but the one thing about that old design that. is that you could never ever ever forget which way was the right way to hold it in the dark. Sure. Somebody actually the, the tweeted, buttons were at the top. Somebody tweeted me the other day, that, and and you didn't have to worry about which button was which because the the placement was such that there was never any ambiguity to it there was one yeah. circle and then two buttons underneath and that's it yeah so you you know you wouldn't even have, not just which way is it in your hand but which button is which you'd never be confused either right uh you know it was a perfectly capable remote to use blindfolded is is one way to put it which is a good thing to be i i think somebody tweeted me the other day that i shouldn't be watching tv in the dark that it's bad for my eyes and what? <laughs> That's so old-fashioned. Yeah, and then you're I, only supposed to watch TV in the dark. And I was gonna say that that's crazy. I've, you know, how else are you supposed to watch a movie? And then I realized, wait, I can't, I can't dispute your. It'll, it'll be bad for your eyes anymore. <laughs> 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 Who knows? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the fact that I've spent, you know, thirty some years watching TV in as in as dark a room as I possibly can is exactly what happened to me. I don't know. I remember when Philips was making those TVs that would glow the the, the um, wall, ambient the, color behind you? Yeah. Yeah. What a dumb, <laughs> stupid idea. <laughs> I have this one um, TV that I bought a few years ago. It's I think LG made it. And um, the remote for it was one of those space remotes that you hold in the air. Like, uh, it was like a Wii remote, basically, a Wiimote. Um, where the cursor on screen would do like would be wherever you're pointing to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you're sort of like such, which shining was such a, a flashlight on what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. And such a dumb idea. It was badly calibrated. The actual shape of the remote itself didn't have a flat side, so you couldn't set it down on <laughs> on a table. Uh, just such a such a bad bad idea. It's um, <laughs> and we. You know, over the years, I feel like I've tried all the universal remotes from Radio Shack universal remotes to the Logitech Harmony remotes, um, always because it's it's always just been such a pain in the ass to, you know, switch inputs on eight different things to get the audio and video where you need them to be. This is quite <laughs> elegant, though. Uh <laughs> I do wish. I, I also feel, I do, I feel like in addition to being... Uh, asymmetric. I, I, it's funny that you brought up the nipple. The other thing I thought is that it seems weird to me that they made the home button not centered at the bottom. Like, yeah. Like on an iOS device. Cause totally. That would be a perfect place for it. Yeah. And I even feel like the icon for it should be a rectangle, like the rectangle of the apps, not a TV set. And I've yeah, even that's such a weird icon. Yeah, it just seems weird to me because I've heard people on podcasts talking about this, and they don't even know what to call that button. Whereas if it was at the bottom, centered, and it doesn't have to be at the bottom of the remote, but just underneath all the other buttons, 
centered with a rectangular icon, everybody would know exactly what it is. It's uh, it's the home button, and it takes you home. Yeah. And you double click it. it. If once you think of it as the home button, and you know it's the home button, it makes all the sense in the world. But it's in such a weird spot, and it has a weird icon. Right. The other thing I would like, and I can't help but think it'll come eventually. I I, I hope would be Touch ID. And it would, you know, in terms of a long run, you know, like, you know, I don't know if it would come next year, but if, you know, within the next two or, you know, one or two years, if they came out with one of these remotes with Touch ID, it would solve an awful lot, I would hope, of these problems that people are complaining about with, well, I have to keep entering all, you know, passwords for this service, for that Mm -hmm. service and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you Mm -hmm. know, get it in Touch ID and, I don't know, be some way to do it. And then even then, you you could do things like, you know, like, just one example, like everybody, I think, sets up their iTunes so that you don't get asked for your password again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's what I did, right? Your options are like ask every time, ask once an hour, or never ask again for your iTunes password. Mm-hmm. So I have it set up to never ask again. I sure. totally understand that there are some people, depending on how rambunctious your kids are, that the, you know, you maybe you don't want to leave it set like that because you, your kids will, will download a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. having Touch ID in the remote, wouldn't that be great? Then you could have it set so that you just use Touch ID every time you want to buy something. But then it's only got like uh, the adult, the adults in the house thumbprints on it. Sure. But I'm sure like they'll probably enable the remote app bef- and which, you know, on a device that has Touch ID available to it before they, before they redesign the remote with Touch ID. The remote But let's app? talk about the... The remote app, the iOS app. Oh, I don't know. That might be going away. You have inside information. No, I don't have inside information. <laughs> other than the fact, other than the fact that that app was n- never really a big part of their strategy or plan for how you would use, you, you know, anything. It was sort of like the work of like a one guy within the company who made it and got it you know it was like i think we should ship this you know i think you know we can do some cool yeah, things but it was so useful it was so useful yeah but the company was never behind it here's what i think and i do i did think about this in the last week where for the last couple of years ever since hey they apple you know the rumor that apple is building a next generation apple tv has been out like one of the number one theories that people have tossed out on Twitter or written to me and email readers of the site is the theory that it won't even come with a remote and you'll use your iPhone as the remote. And I've always shot that down because you cannot sell a, a hundred dollar or even $150 box that requires a a, $700 remote control. And you cannot, it's, you know, it doesn't matter how careful your kids are. You can't have little kids using, using, you know, even the iPod touch is like the cheapest thing you can get, like a $200 thing with a glass screen as the remote control. It just does not fly. Um, but I think it's so funny that not only were they wrong that the Apple, that an iPhone or an iPod touch would be the default remote for the Apple TV, but that they've gone so far as to actually not let you use it as one with the remote app. Like it was like the worst. It could not be have been a more wrong prediction. Yeah, but it doesn't. Make, it's not one that makes sense in any way. Like why? If why not enable software from another plat from another one of their devices that extends the capabilities of of this device? It's such an easy, not easy technically. It's probably really difficult, I but really, easy um, conceptually. I, thing I don't to know. Do. And and the one area where I feel like it really 
would be useful, especially, and everybody is complaining this week because of the first run where, you know, it, yeah. and it ends up, I didn't know this, but I learned that if you sign up for Netflix through iTunes, mm-hmm. that you don't have to enter your password again, that it comes, it is somehow included in your iTunes account. Um, but I don't know. I think like most people, I signed up for Netflix long enough ago that I, I pay Netflix directly. And so, yes, I had to enter our Netflix password, but for entering passwords, or anything you actually have to type, being able to do it on the phone was it's such a, an incredible convenience. Uh, and it yeah. is odd. I know, and some people complain that Guy and I kind of blew it off last week, but it is kind of curious mm-hmm. that the old Apple TV would let you pair a Bluetooth keyboard. And it still lets you pair Bluetooth things. You can pair any Bluetooth, like universal remote control, and you can pair universal, or not universal, you know, Bluetooth game controllers. Uh, and it's therefore very conspicuous that they won't let you pair a Bluetooth keyboard with it, which might only be useful, or at least would be the most useful in like the first day or two that that you have the thing and you're setting up these accounts and entering your you know Comcast uh, email and stuff like that. Mm, you know what I would have liked to have the option to do, even though this would definitely be a power move or a power user move. Is just use Siri to say the say my password out loud. Uh, it sounds so stupid when I sit, when I put it that way, and because all my passes are like ten character passwords are ten character hashes from one password anyway. But I would easily I would easily prefer saying capital A nine, you know seven hash. You know, yeah, um, and I could see how that would work in a, if Siri was expecting you to spell it. Like if they said, like if they, it was like an option on screen that said, spell your password to Siri. Mm-hmm. And so if Siri knew that it was listening for you to say letters and numbers and like the word capital and uppercase, um, it, it would, I think that Siri would definitely be able to do that. So you don't think it was a real uh, scheduling thing, a development schedule thing? That they I think some of it might be. Out. I think I th- I think that the Bluetooth keyboard I hold out hope still might be a scheduling thing. But um, Jason Snell on on the Upgrade podcast, I just linked to it today. I thought it was a great episode with him and Mike Hurley. But um, Jason pointed out, and I didn't know, I didn't know this, but he at the September 9th event where they announced all this, he. Uh, astutely asked the question uh at the hands-on area hey is this does this new one work with the remote app and he was sort of expecting either the answer yep it'll work you know it'll work by the time it comes out or he was expecting what uh, if it doesn't or they didn't yet or they didn't want to say or the person didn't even know that they would just give their typical apple answer which is uh you know we're not talking about that or or we don't know um Instead, the answer was no. And he was like, no, it's not going to work. And they were like, no, that's, that's not going to work. And that was, that was a very, you know, and he even said that was not, I didn't expect that to be possible because I thought even if that was the answer, they wouldn't say it. But instead, they were already willing to tell people on September 9th that won't work. I don't get it. I don't quite get why not. Well, what was the functionality that the remote app did? Like, what for you, did you use the remote app? Only for typing. The old Apple. I never used it to go up, down, left, right because I found because it it the actual interface to me the mismatch between swiping uh, and an interface that only had uh, didn't have any kind of analog. It wasn't like you could swipe fast to go far. Like swiping to the right would just go over one to the right, whether you swiped Mm -hmm. a little to the right or a lot to the right 
or slow to the right or fast to the right. It just went over one, and that never felt sure. right to me. And never, and I well, that's every it would once make so much more sense on this one though, <laughs> because that's actually the me- the right. that's that's actually the interface. Uh, I guess you're right, and you know, couldn't they just put up a fakey fake? You know, I would I would envision that a modern version of the remote app would look a lot like the remote, where let's say sure. the top. But I, instead of being 50-50, I would just say like the top two-thirds or top maybe almost all of it would be a swiping zone. And then at the bottom, there'd be buttons for Siri and play pause and plus minus for volume. Yeah, I would use the remote app for navigation when the when the real remote app or when the real remote would disappear. Yeah, that's the times tiny I tiny and it, it constantly does. Right. Because um, I, I often stay up later than the rest of the family. And then <laughs> yeah. I, that's when I watch TV or I watch movies that nobody else wants to sure. watch. And Ooh, what I noticed, speaking of, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Well, I have something. I, I, <laughs> but there are times where I, I, there are times where I will spend 10 minutes looking for the Apple TV remote. <laughs> yeah. And then I say, screw it. Because, you know, I, the hell with it, I'll just use the remote app. And it was yeah. always a nice fallback to have. Yeah, and the watch app was pretty fun to use too. A tiny little trackpad. Yeah, that's um, that what is, I was. Well, just let me say this. Sorry, I, I think I said. Did we say this last week? That it's. It, it does seem damn curious that even Tim Cook himself has been. You know, four months ago was talking about how he. One of the favorite things he does with his Apple Watch is control his Apple TV. Yeah. And now that doesn't work, and it makes me. I, yeah. I just assumed that Tim Cook was using the new Apple TV. You know, for like a year or something like that, but it, I mm-hmm. guess not. I be, I bet they have something coming that's just different, you know, different from the remote app. Yeah. I, they've got to be doing it. They've got to be. Um, what I was going to say though is, I also like, like you. I um, I stay up late and will watch TV when the rest of the family's asleep. Uh, and so I have headphones for my uh, my TV, and I had the headphones when I first set up the app, the new Apple TV, and I realized how stereophonically. Um, like spatially cool the sound design is in the UI. Um, like where, you know, the navigation really, really heavily favors left or right, hmm. uh, depending on where you are on the screen. It's very cool. I, didn't I don't know, know if anybody's picking up on that because most people don't watch TV through headphones. Uh, I, 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 you make me want to try it. That sounds yeah, give awesome. It a go. I think the sound design of this thing is amazing. I know some of the sounds so are great. very similar to the old Apple TV, but there's mm-hmm. subtle ways that they feel more alive. Well, they're less percussive. Like just mm-hmm. the the you know the the um, the old Apple TV was full of like bings and bongs with hard sounds at the top. You know, at the top of the sound, yeah, like just those like you know punk, like kind of the TiVo kind of sounds. But the new one is very very like soft sounds, like round, soft, like just melodic sounds that are just really pleasing. Hmm. Yeah, I, that sounds exactly right to me. And it's a funny little um it's a funny little contrast with the visuals which are that the the icons and the posters are sharp cornered rectangles uh-huh. as opposed to the round rectangles and round squares that we've had on all these other iOS things for a while. That's a great point. It, it, yeah, there's just they they'll put sharp elements in places and soft elements in other places and I would say just the way that the like we were talking about before, the way that the icons pivot and sort of roll around is very soft. That's a that's a very soft animated element. Yeah, because I think the I think to me the aesthetically how they get away with making these sharp cornered rectangles for the app icons and for the you know movie and show posters poster images, mm-hmm. the way they make that work and have it feel lightweight is because it feels like they are 
paper thin. Yeah. And the fact that they pivot, like you said, like they're on a ball joint, which is exactly right, is uh, it it just increases the sense that it's not just paper, but like really thin, lightweight paper. Yeah. I I love that idea of weight in, in UI elements and um, that this somehow strikes a balance between like feeling like it has weight, but feeling, you know, and rigidity, but, but still that it's like, it's got the lightness of digit of digital hmm. elements. Yeah. And there is, there is like, and to me it speaks to the, what makes me excited about what apps people are going to come up with and the games that people might come up with that mm-hmm. maybe are games that aren't quite, wouldn't quite make as much sense on the iPhone or something like that. It'll make perfect sense here is the, the, that there's clearly just in the built-in interface, a, a sense of feel the connection between your thumb on the remote trackpad and what you see on screen and the way that, you know, if you just move it, your thumb so subtly, it, it is re- reflected instantly in what you see in a very yeah. tangible way. Um, I, I, I know it's, it's weird cause it's not direct touch and it's, you know, that would be the stupidest thing in the world to have a TV that is actually a touch screen. Um, <laughs> I mean, other than certain weird contexts, like in a museum or something like that. I mean, yeah, or, yeah. You know, um, uh, but to me, it, it that one of the things that this has that I, to me I've never seen on any other device is that it feels like I'm touching my TV. Yeah. Well, you remember, you know, you remember that like that's how the world was introduced to, to multi-touch uh, before the iPhone. There was a everybody got fascinated by that. Jeff Hahn. Um, the guy's Jeff Hahn, yeah. The Jeff Hahn display that then CNN started using and everything like that. That's what we what, that's what we think of, or that's what we used to think of when we right. thought about touching a screen. And, uh, you know, all, it's Microsoft Surface, the original Microsoft Surface. Sure, yeah, the table. Tabletop. Yeah. Um, so I downloaded uh, Lumino City because the trailer is beautiful, uh, but I could not figure out how to play it because I'm not a... I'm not a game guy, and I feel like I felt like such an idiot trying to figure out what to do. I didn't hear I got that. lost. Lumino uh, City. Lumino City. It's like one of the featured apps. It's just like gorgeous. It's about a little girl. It's almost got that um, Monument Valley kind of paper craft feel to mm. it. It's it's really beautiful. Um, so I, you know, I would just put that up, and I downloaded Nevin's game Space Age. Yeah, which of course is super fun. Um, but I'm just not, I'm not going to use this as a game device. I'm absolutely not. I don't use my iPhone as a game device. Um, I'm going to use this to get hopefully all of the content that I ever need to watch or want to watch. I don't know that I will have spent a lot of time in the long run playing it as a game device, but like, you know, uh, Jonas, who is obsessed with video games to the point where it's, you know, maybe a problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Hey, we have a PS4. So to me, it's been an interesting litmus test. Um, and he's still interested in it as a gaming device. I mean, and you know, and he knows what it is. But even somebody who like him who likes playing serious, you know, what do you call them, AAA title, you know, you know, fifty, sixty dollar games, like you know, like, what's the one he's playing now? Destiny. Um, you know, Destiny is a thing for the PS4, but he's in getting enjoyment out of some of these casual games. You know, like you know, maybe there's only ten minutes before we expect to be eating dinner and he's got ten mm-hmm. minutes. It's mm-hmm. he's enjoying playing some of these Apple T V games. I played a game last night and it's the longest I've played a video game I think in over a year. Or at least I, I can't even remember the last time I played a video game for an hour. It's this game called uh 
Paco, P-A-K-O. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the first level, I, I actually did play a couple other levels then. I didn't enjoy any of them nearly as much as the first level. I think I paid $3 for it or $4. I got way more than $4 of enjoyment from it. I may not <laughs> play it in the long run. But have you ever heard of this game, P-A-K-O? No. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So the gist of it is you're in like a little uh, isomorphic 3D parking lot. You're in a mall parking lot. And, <laughs> I like, go on. <laughs> and you're, uh, they don't tell you who you are, but I, I imagine that you're a teenager driving like your parents' car and you're just raising hell. It's like a little like black hatchback, like a, a VW rabbit type looking mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And you're in a parking lot and there is no way out of the parking lot. And the cops are coming because there's been a report of somebody driving like a nut in the parking lot. And your car, it's as though the accel- there is no brake and the accelerator is down to the pedal and there's nothing you can do about it. And all you can do is turn left or right. <laughs> That's so fun. And all you do is drive around a parking lot for as long as you can until – and the police are trying to smash into your car. <laughs> and so if you smash into anything, you're done. If the police smash into you, you're done. And that's it. And there's no way to get extra lives. That's it. it you just drive around the parking lot, raising hell <laughs> as is, for as long as you can. And it's hard. And it's a hard game. It's like that's, that definitely came to somebody in a dream. Uh, <laughs> like that's a total anxiety dream. And I, I might have even spoiled it a little bit here by telling you that you can't get out of the parking lot because I actually <laughs> I actually didn't know. I just saw this on the Apple TV and I'm I'm in this mood of trying to figure out what's possible and what's available and this Paco game looked cool so I got it and uh started playing and it doesn't really tell you what to do. It and it just says, you know, you know, it's almost like a TV news flash like the thing at the bottom of CNN it just says like reports of trouble at the mall parking lot. And then it just says go. And then your car just goes, and there's no way to make it slow down or stop, and you just go left or right. That's and I spent funny. like the first 15 minutes trying to find my way out of this parking lot until I figured <laughs> out that there is no way out of the parking lot. <laughs> oh, God. It's a nightmare. Right. And there's like no way to win. There's, you can't, it's not like if, I, as far as I know, I don't know, maybe there is a way to win. I don't know. I had one where I got it over two minutes, and that was my longest run by a long shot. And it just, you, you, don't, get any, you don't get anything for it. What other uh, what other game not non game apps have you tried out, downloaded, used? What are your favorites? Oh, let me think about non game apps. Mostly just video content. You know, it's mostly yeah. a lot of the same stuff that I had on the old Apple TV. But I find it you know a lot easier. Uh, yeah. I know one of the big common complaints is it, it, over and over. People I see in these reviews, people saying like they want the voice search to work in more places, mm-hmm. and I I, I just. Uh, to me, that is an absolute. This is a 1.0, and it's you know it, it's coming. I think, and it's just a basis. Yeah, I mean, Siri is still pretty limited in in iOS in general compared to what it can. It will it should eventually do. Yeah. Have you? What other apps have you seen that, that caught your eye? Um, I like uh, Air Video. Do you know Air, the Air no. Video app? No, I'm writing it. Down. It's just really it's this really cool app where if you have like media on on your on a server at home. Um, oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, it, it's just basically a, a great, like, seamless and really, really fluid way of getting, of of streaming media to your device. And so, like, I have a Mac Mini in the closet where the cable modem and everything is hooked up, where my why my airport router and every, everything is, and it's got like movies and stuff that I don't want to keep on a laptop. 
And so uh, the you can browse to that. If you keep it in your iTunes library where your media server is, you can watch it through uh, iTunes, but that's always been a pretty terrible experience. So Air Video makes it a not terrible experience. Um, that's very cool. And it's also like they had pioneered, you know, that, that really, really cool scrolling thing that the new Apple TV does where you get just a really like good real time picture of, uh, where in the timeline you are. Yes. Uh, you and Guy t- talked about it on the last episode. Um, Air Video had that like already in their iOS app and it's, it's just really, really, really good. Yeah. Like you, you, it's just well engineered. It's one of those apps that, you know, third party developers have made that, just feels like the engineers are just so smart. They should probably be acquired, um, <laughs> you know, figure some shit out for, for Apple. It's just one, uh, of my, one of my frustrations with the, what people are saying about Apple TV. And, and I, I forget if it was you or somebody else on Twitter was saying that it's like 90% of what's there is awesome. And 10% is there's serious, you know, problems that we can complain about. And all everybody is talking about is the 10% that's problematic. Yeah, and then not only that, but the ten percent that represents the first your first hour with the device, and then not anymore. Right. I I feel like I I want to I want to pay extra money and have it Apple give it to the team that made fast forward and reverse work like this. Yeah, and it's the best fast forward and reverse I've ever seen on any device. And after a week with it, I'm willing to say it's better than TiVo's. It is the yeah. best that I've seen. It is so good. It, it, it is exact. And again. I'm sure all computers will work like this someday, but up until this point, fast forwarding and reversing and and scanning in video, especially streams, it's been absolutely horrible. It's a crapshoot. And this, it's like you can go exactly to where you want, and it's instantaneous, and I, it's amazing. Yeah. And even the thumbnails to me are like higher resolution and bigger than any thumbnails I've ever seen before. Yeah, they're great. Um, I I love that. By default, they didn't load a bunch of crap in on in the home screen for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, because even the the version three of the Apple TV, you buy a new one, you take it home, and it's got all the Disney XD yeah, and all yeah. the Disney crap, and then it's got like Crunchyroll. What the hell is Crunchyroll? I don't need Crunchyroll. I don't need Korea TV. <laughs> you sure as shit I'm don't sh- need Crunchyroll by default. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's got all this crap that you end up resenting. It just feels like cruft, like an old, you know, a Windows, like, a Windows box or something. Like, and they didn't do any of that. Like Fox News Financial UK. Yeah, like, exactly. Why is that on there? <laughs> I don't need that. And, but that would have undermined the whole point of the Apple TV App Store if they had loaded anything besides just the very basic, yeah. you know, three. Th- there was movies, TV, and... Uh, settings and i forget what what else they didn't even have youtube preloaded on there you have to do the work go and find it and then your mind is blown by what else is is available yeah and i thought it was there was a cool section of and i know that they didn't have top charts right away and people complained about it and i and they've already got them they already have them I, (laughs) i really think it was the fact that because nobody had used the thing outside apple they couldn't have top charts because sure nobody was there but they had a cool thing that really helped me at first i thought and again overall yes the first run experience could use some help so that you don't have to enter so many passwords over and over again um and some people are hitting weird snags where that they're they've got to jump through hoops to get their itunes account so they can buy stuff you have to like go to it you have to go to another device and go to uh your 
Apple ID page and a web browser and verify your address or something like that. Didn't happen to me. It doesn't seem to have happened to most people. It did happen to Jason Snell. That's mm. a you know huge pain in the ass. And whatever the problem is causing that, they ought to look into it because you know Christmas morning that that's that's not a fun thing. Yeah. Um, what what I would love to be able to change is that when I you know I keep like movies is top left of my home screen, um, and they will show you your purchased movies in the in the you know the top header. Yeah. First and then. And then like the top movies on the store after that. And I have purchased three things apparently. One is Frozen, which I've never watched, <laughs> but Roxana's my Roxana's niece and nephew were over and they wanted to watch Frozen, so I bought it. The second one is Real Genius, which is my favorite movie. And then the third one is Disney Paper Man, which I watched once and is is really nice. But I don't need to see those those now represent my home screen and my experience, Wait. my every experience with Apple. You've TV. only bought three movies from iTunes. No, this can't. That can't be true. Like if I go to, like, that that absolutely can't be true. But it, but that's what see. it looks like. That's what it looks like because they only show you the three. Let's see, all movies. No, I have eight on here. You don't buy um, movies from iTunes. No, I rent them. Okay. Um, yeah, I, the first movie I ever bought with iTunes, right when the iTunes movie store launched, was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And that's still on here. <laughs> I have one called The Happiest Baby on the Block, which was teaching us how to shush our baby <laughs> <laughs> to sleep. And then Cloud Atlas, which is my favorite movie also. <laughs> <laughs> Do you buy a lot of movies? I buy tons of movies. I've got, oh, wow. I've got like 300 iTunes movies. Well, why would you do that, though? Because you can rent it anytime. Do you know what? Because I kept running into the f- problem where I'd rent the movie. If if they gave us 36 hours instead of 24 hours, I would probably only own 100 movies instead of 300. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it got to the point where I had so many times where I'd rented a movie, and then I was like, I got to go to bed. And I'd go to bed, and then the next night, it was already expired. And then I'd have to rent it again, and I sure. felt so mad. And even though the cost of two rentals is less than still less than the cost of buying it. It's close enough that I just started buying them. And I yeah. now I just buy whatever I want to watch from iTunes. And, I get it. And the hack around that was that you could pause it and just like leave your leave your Apple TV on and then just like uh, you wouldn't be able to do anything else until you unpaused it. That stopped working for me though. And I know it was still supposed oh, it really? to yeah, it was like I would just enter like an endless spinner where it would be like authorizing and the authorization would never stop. Oh, that sucks. And you give up and hit menu and they're like this expired. Yeah. So no, that's why I, I, if if rentals had a bigger window of like 48 hours or even like I, I've always said 36 would do it because 36 would let you watch the next night no matter when you start um, I'd have bought a lot fewer do you happen to know what kind of a profit center is the rental is the movie rental store for Apple I don't know exactly because they just lump it all together but it's yeah. it is grown though it is big like Horace Deju has tracked how much it's it's just all lumped in together with the app store and stuff like and the music store and stuff like that but it's it is significant yeah anything that they do is insignificant compared to and I'm I, this is great because I don't want to I'm not a financial guy. You know, like Apple did the finances last week and Guy and I didn't talk about them and you and I aren't uh-huh. going to talk about them. No. But long story short, uh, the one thing that I think gets overlooked is everybody emphasizes that they're so lopsided in favor of the revenue from the iPhone because the iPhone is so humongous. But the 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 thing is is that everything else at Apple combined other than iPhone is has revenues that's more than the combined revenues of Facebook and Microsoft. Wow. So 
Apple's non-iPhone business is huge. And, <laughs> yeah. and it just, all of it, any single part of that, though, pales in comparison to the iPhone because the iPhone is like unfathomably big revenue and profit wise. And I think that the iTunes stuff is definitely significant. I don't think, you know, that nobody really talks about that being run as a, a loss leader or break even anymore. I, yeah. I think it's pretty clear that they make money on that. Yeah, I really hope that they can start breaking them out when they do do a cable package, you know, a cable like package, because that is an entirely separate business. I think if you're usurping a multi multi billion dollar telecommunications industry, you should probably have to report the the earnings from that. <laughs> I think so too. But the the truth is, even though as Apple, even though Apple hides a lot of this stuff, or not hides it, but groups it all together so you can't break it down, they're still a lot more transparent than some of their competitors like uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon is yeah. just like, uh, we made money. You know, here's how much yeah. money. Screw Amazon for not having an app too. Oh, I hate that. Let's hold hold a thought on that and let's 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 come back to that. I gotta do this last uh this last sponsor. Okay. I'm very excited about this. I told you before. Brand new sponsor, haven't sponsored us before. It's a company called Wealthfront. Now Wealthfront is it, it it's it's a way to make it easy for anyone to access world-class long-term investment management. It's an online automatic service that invests your money for you. Here's what you do. You sign up for an account at wealthfront.com. takes just a few minutes, and uh, you put some money in there, and then they invest the money for you. Their software optimizes your investments for the best risk-adjusted return net of taxes and fees. So in, in addition to charging one of the lowest fees in the industry and charging nothing at all for commissions, it's always working to save you money, um, to earn money on your investment and to save you money on your taxes. It is transparent and accessible. You can view all of your accounts in one place, whether they are personal accounts, joint accounts, retirement accounts, and you can see every trade that Wealthfront makes on your behalf in your dashboard anywhere you go. Uh, they've got all sorts of complicated, you know, they, they explain it. They go into detail about this. I'm no investment. I just said that before, almost by coincidence. Um, but here's the deal. Most of these places, most places, traditional places where you invest money, um, take at least 1% of whatever you invest with them as their fee. Uh, a lot of them take up to 3%. So with Wealthfront, here's what they take. It's just a flat one quarter of 1%. That they call that twenty-five basis points. I didn't. I didn't know what a basis point is before. One quarter of one percent, uh, and it does not kick in until you have over ten thousand dollars in there. So you can do up to ten thousand dollars in your Wealthfront account, and they won't take anything. They don't take any fees. They only take one quarter of one percent on what's in there over ten thousand uh, dollars. Even better than that, though, for talk show listeners, uh, they have a promotion where if you go to wealthfront.com slash the talk show and you sign up there, you can even see it when you go to that page. They have a special splash page. Go check it out for talk show listeners. Uh, they up that to $15,000. So the first $15,000 you put in your account, no fees at all. You don't pay anything. No fees, no commissions for life. And then you only pay one quarter of a percent after that. Um, they, you know, more or less, they, they, they have a, a strategy where they put all your money in index funds. Uh, and they management, they, they move it around and try to be smart about it. So it's not like they're, you know, putting it into, you know, you know, risky stuff. It's about as stable as it can be. Um, sort of a conservative long-term 
growth strategy for your investment. I don't know shit about investments. So this, <laughs> to me, is very, very intriguing. Uh, yeah. So go check them out, wealthfront.com slash the talk show. More or less, they just want to manage your money for you. Sounds intriguing to me. I'm, I'm absolutely going to check them out. Uh, and this is it. This is the best part. This is a required disclosure I have to read to you. For compliance purposes, I have to tell you that Wealthfront Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Uh, brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read our full disclosure. Apparently, if I didn't read that, uh, I would be going to prison. Yeah, big old SEC violation. Yep, I would go right to jail. <laughs> oh, seriously, I, I, that's pretty much what they told me. Yeah, probably there's by all next kinds week. of re- restrictions. We one of their competitors in the robo advising industry is our is a client of mine, and that Finra SEC stuff is no joke, man. Yeah, maybe it'd be funny if me and you went to prison together. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it anywhere near as badly if, if you and I could go together. Yeah, we would wear a, a matching eye patches. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what you need to get just, through. Just talk about Apple computers all day. Yeah, just to get through a stint in a white collar prison, you just need one buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I would need a buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> what were we talking about before? What was our last? Uh, uh, Amazon. Amazon. Those bastards. Spiteful, spiteful bastards. I Amazon. feel like they've really up, they've taken it up yeah. a level by not doing it. Yeah. And it's funny because, yeah. uh, so I've got the Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, it's really, it just feels spiteful. And I knew it and I, I it made sense to me before I had the, it. The, uh, the fire, the, you have their, their box? No, I don't have their box and I don't want another box. Um, and and they didn't have a thing on the old Apple TV because the old Apple TV didn't really have an app store and they had to work out partnerships. And I always just assumed that it's because they did, the two companies don't like each other and they couldn't bear to work something like this out. But that once they had an app store, Amazon would just build the app, submit it to Apple, and they wouldn't have to talk to Eddie Q or anything like that. There'd be no deal. Uh, and, and of course, I would assume that they would set it up so that you can't sign up for Amazon Prime through your Apple TV because then they'd have to give Apple 30%. You'd have to st- still have to go to Amazon.com on some other device and sign up there to do the payment stuff. And that if you wanted to buy a movie or something like that, you'd have to do it on another device so that you don't, you know, Apple doesn't get their 30%. Totally understand that that level of spite. But for the stuff that you get for free with your Amazon Prime, the fact that they don't have a cool app on this makes me it makes me angry and they've got really good content on there transparent was an amazing show and if they're a content studio if amazon is a content studio why the hell would they cut off a limb and not distribute it on probably the most viable content distribution mechanism that there is I, I don't get it. And I know that they want people to buy the Fire TV and stuff like that. And I'm sure people who are their most diehard users will. And they have this great selling, you know, where they can promote it right on the homepage of Amazon.com. And they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't see why they wouldn't want to be on, on this device with an app. Yeah. Why are there diehard Amazon fans that will only buy Amazon uh, hardware? and use Amazon software, it doesn't make sense to me. 
I don't know. And the fact that you still can do it by going to your phone or your iPad and using the app that they do make for those devices and then airplaying it to your Apple TV, it's it's like you're not keeping me from watching it through my Apple TV. You're just making me use a a worse interface and a more br- one that, you know, sometimes gets disconnected because it's, you know, AirPlay isn't as rock solid as just playing it right through an app on the device. Yeah, I hate those apps where you have to actually keep the screen active um, <laughs> in order to AirPlay out. It's so dumb. Who designed that? <laughs> and every time my every time your TV turns off and the video stops, I'm out, it makes me want to throw my phone at the TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have a couple minutes left. I want to bring up uh, your newest thing, uh, which is Computer Show. Yes. So you go to, number one, this is a wonderful domain. <laughs> you just go to computer.show. Sure. It's almost like it's almost like the URL is was like picked by somebody who doesn't understand the internet, like how a web browser works. <laughs> What's the who's the host of Computer Show? His the the host's name the, is Gary Fabert, um, and he's played, played by, by played by an actor or comedian, yeah, Rob Bedeker, <laughs> who is amazing. So I don't want to spoil too much. I want to be able to talk about this. Uh, so you linked to it. On, on Daring Fireball, which is extremely awesome. Well, and hopefully a lot of people who are listening have already seen it before we talk about it, because it's, some of it, I feel like, it, it's not that it would be spoiled, but the basic premise, though, is that it's it's a show, and I used to watch these shows. Yeah. It is like a, a, a PBS show from 1983 about mm-hmm. computers. Yeah. Except that the companies and products who are on the show are real companies and products in today's computing world. Yes, <laughs> that's the that's the high concept, the high conceit of the show. Uh, so you know, like you get to watch a host and co-host from a technology talk show from 1983 stumble through understanding a technology from today, which is a pretty simple, it's like straightforward pitch, you know. But uh, when you know executed by uh, executed with an eye towards like detail and, and uh, authenticity. It's not just an SNL sketch. We really wanted to make it feel like it was in that world. And then Rob uh, Bedeker, who brings life into that character, like you wouldn't believe it just, it, it just was like a really fun, it was a really fun thing. He's amazing. And um, it, the, the first episode premiered at XOXO last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was after there was a, you guys had a live episode of you look nice today, which was great. And the crowd was really into it and everybody's in a good mood. And then afterwards you premiered this and it, I mean it, I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke up, up your beautiful, beautiful butt, but <laughs> it, it blew the roof off the dump. I mean, I mean, people went nuts. Yeah. Were you, is, was that, pre- it was- is that the first time you did a, you've, you've had a thing premiere in front of a live audience? Definitely. I mean, yeah, since film school, like film school, where we had to show something in front of an audience, but that was, um, yeah, I never get to, all, all my stuff goes out into the internet and in, into a vacuum and I never really can, except for like Twitter as a sounding board, but, um, it was just such a good experience. It was, it was the perfect audience to premiere it for because they're right in that world of like tech slash 
having a sense of humor and, and, um, you know, character. Did you uh, feel pressure following up what I, th- I thought was very clearly a very, very good live episode of you look nice today? Totally. I could have like killed it. <laughs> I could have like crushed the mood entirely. Um, and also like, I felt a little bit bad that, um, because I was gonna, I had asked the Andes if I could premiere, the, if like I could premiere the episode um, at like their video, you know, in one of the slots. If there was an open slot for their video shorts program, and Andy was so into the idea that he was like, "Oh, you could go right up. You could go up right after you look nice today." And I felt really bad, and I also felt it was a huge um, elevated stakes. But yeah, it's, it totally went well and it was, and it was so fun. And, but the reception from having shown them on the internet has been so positive that we're really like, we're gearing up to do more of them. What, what is the holdup to do more? Well, they were actually quite, you know, resource intensive to do, uh, to produce the three episodes that we did. And one of them we've had to withhold because, um, the, the subject of the show, the the guest on the show was not um the pr person behind that company was not super amenable to um uh, how know, it like, went down <laughs> yeah well not not how it went down but just they were uncomfortable with the whole idea of the humor of of uh of the of the concept but didn't, so we didn't know what they were getting into beforehand yeah it was weird you know the, the backstory is that you know, without giving away too much, the backstory is that this person was uncomfortable a little bit, or that the the, the guest wasn't, but the PR company was. Right. And so, in order to get that person on as a guest um, to like follow through, the PR company we we basically said, "Listen, you have the right to pull the episode if you don't like it," because I was so confident that it would go well, and then it went well, and we made a really funny episode out of it, and then the PR company. Had, you know, when right before we launched the the show, was just like, no, we're gonna we're gonna exercise that right, and it's like, we'll 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 sit this round out, and it really sucked. Someday it'll see the light of day, hopefully. This um, is what I love about you. I love about you that you are you're such a. Uh, I'm sure, sure you might have gone through other emotions earlier, but you you say this, and there's no no sense of bitterness in your voice at all. Well, you know, because when something like this happens, I just have this sense that they'll get. Whatever <laughs> they'll get, what's coming to them eventually. No way. I think we made something really good, and they could have gotten a lot of benefit from it. But um, if they choose to not participate in that benefit, then that's their deal. But but the important part is that we're making more of them. That we're we're going to get you know different partners on board and um, involve you know the in, involve different money people, involve different um, startups and guests and corporate. Uh, you know, sponsors and things. And so really like at this phase, we're gearing up to do more episodes. And if there are any, you know, I extend this to your audience. If there are startups out there that feel like they're going to be perfectly suited to somehow being featured on the show, then definitely get in touch. One of the things I love about it is that the premise is, is sort of the basic premise is very easy. It's modern technology as seen through the eyes of a 1983 computer technology show. But after that, it's all hand wavy and there's never any explanation as to how this could be happening because uh, the hosts of the show clearly haven't been around since 1983. 
right? I mean, he looks like he's about my age, so he was about 10 in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> it, there's no explanation, and there's no, no, no argument. There's no sense that there was some sort of time machine or anything like that. It's just this inexplicable hand-wavy mismatch of, <laughs> yeah. of a host and a show and, and, and the set design and the camera angles <laughs> combined with modern technology and then the best part and this is again it speaks to the like you said like the the production costs that go into this is that when like it's demo time (laughs) the demos are done on on a like an apple (laughs) 2e yeah yeah i think it would be a mistake like i am comfortable showing an iphone in the world of computer computer show i would not be Comfortable showing a MacBook or, right. or an iMac. Well, <laughs> there's a demo on an iPhone on the one episode. And <laughs> what's his name? Gary, right? Yeah. Goes, uh-huh. Gary calls it a calculator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I look at the racquetball on that tiny calculator. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not that impressed by it. <laughs> that's, that's what kills me is that he's really into computers and he's he's like an enthusiast as to the Apple IIe but when he sees an iPhone he's he's not impressed by it that's right i mean it's like showing it's like the opening scene from 2001 like ultimately how impressed are those apes going to be by that monolith right it's or not that different from or if you gave one of those apes an iPad Pro they would just use it to beat, to beat over the, the hell out of the rival <laughs> tribe yeah yeah and I love so yeah. I mean, you hit on that. Like, we never want to explain the 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 mechanics of the world because it's so much f- more fun not to. But the way I think of it is like it's kind of like one of those a movie uh, plot where somebody magically gets transported into a TV show that they're watching, uh, you know, and they'll they'll appear into like in the in the fictional fictional world of the the TV show that they're watching, right. You it's, never question how that ha- happened. It was just supernatural, and so that's the, that's kind of the same logic in this in this universe. Your brain fills in the gaps with like a sort of touchy feely. Well, it's you know somehow somehow this happened, and you accept yeah. it in a way that if it was explained, your brain would be like, "Well, that makes no sense." <laughs> if you explained it, your brain would reject the explanation as having made no sense because there's no way that this could make sense. And if you don't explain it. This is what makes this is what makes it funny to me is that your brain just fills it in with okay whatever I'll I'll accept this for now what are they going to do and then yeah. oh my god this is hilarious yeah how did and you make the graphics for the Apple IIe stuff um that was done by our editor uh, Zena Gray who was um she was wonderful to work with and she she just did um, really cool just retro graphics. Uh, and comped them into the screen convincingly. And then all of the motion logos uh, at the head of the show and everything <laughs> were done by just this guy I found on the internet who I'd seen, who I'd found on Vimeo. His work was just so stellar. And he did this, the, the, that era of graphics better than anybody else I'd seen named Jared Hagerman. And uh, like, that's my favorite kind of thing. Collaboration where you just find somebody on the internet and you end up working with them for a really long time and you never actually meet them face to face. Is is he like a younger person who who just has a fondness for that era of motion graphics, or was he somebody who was in the motion graphics business at the time? No, I'm pretty sure that he's just um, 
No, that he's a young person. I like I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that he's a young person who just like gets the aesthetic like so well. It's it is as somebody who grew up in that era and was like a media obsessive. And I remember even thinking like with some of those old, you know, like the old CBS logo and stuff like yeah. that and the motion like the what was that CBS one like special presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh the special presentation thing it, I remember thinking like that maybe like once once I'd seen it a couple times. I remember thinking, wait, how the hell did they make that? Right, because it doesn't make any sense that anybody could make that by hand the way they do hand drawn animation. Uh, and uh, the the integrity of the that style of graphic in the computer show is just a hundred percent. It is exactly. It, it, if I didn't know better, I would think that somehow you found it in in thirty year old footage. Yeah, it, it would be fun to like go back and use all the tools that they did, like the the Chiron or there was something called a Squeezoom <laughs> with a joystick. <laughs> you, like broadcast stations would use something called a Squeezoom, which was like a joystick where you could like basically just fly the rectangle of the video frame around in two dimensional space and do page peels and stuff like that. But ultimately, the way to reproduce it now is just you use After Effects, but you do it like really like specifically and handcraft the the look. It 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 it's just it just feels exactly right, and it doesn't come across as caricature. It's not caricaturing the style. It is it is exactly uh, lovingly in in the same serious tone. Thank you. Well, the the most fun for me is that. Um, like the original program that we were referencing is called the computer chronicles and it was hosted and started by a guy named Stuart Chaffee. And he had, you know, he had tweeted that he saw the show and I totally, I asked him, you know, would you be on sometime? And he said, totally. So like that, that'll be a, that'll be a dream come true. Oh my God. That is so great. That's, yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Are there episodes of the computer chronicles on, on YouTube? Oh Yeah. Just search for it. There's the whole the whole catalog is there. It went from '83 through mid '90s, I think. Excellent. Um, anything else that you want to promote? No, no. Just um, I want to promote you because you're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should listen to the talk show. And read Daring Fireball. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what people should do. If I want to take a moment of self promotion, go into your Overcast app if you're using Overcast. And uh, what do you do to shows in there? You recommend them or something? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, go in there and recommend the talk show or promote it. or something. There's something you can do in there. Because it makes the only thing that makes me mad is a couple weeks ago where Marco and I were talking about this Hello Internet uh, show with uh, uh, CG Peak Gray and, and uh, Brady. Uh, Haran? Haran? I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure how to pronounce his surname. But anyway, next thing you know... Uh, uh, I got all these emails from people saying, wow, I never heard of that show. It is amazing. I love it. And next thing you know, it's like the number one show on Overcast. It even jumped ahead of ATP, but it jumped ahead of my oh. show too. And I, I just, I just feel like, well, you know, how about we, you know, how about we put the talk show up there? Yeah. Get a little love for, yeah. for daddy. All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Adam Lisa Gore, thank you so much for your generous uh, time. Thanks for having me. Uh, this was really fun. When do you think? When do you, is there a is there a schedule for more computer shows? Or is yeah, it? we're gonna we're gonna try to shoot them in like early next year, like February, and then spend a while. You know, we're doing it like kind of more like closer to a real show. Mm. Uh, so there's writing and pre production and post production that 
has to be done. Yeah, and so these are sort of like like uh, in the modern era where where shows are sort of you know they're not 30, 30 minutes long. It it's sort of like a two episode pilot, right? Yeah, and now people know exactly what they're getting into. Yeah, and we'll extend that in different directions. We'll come up with new segments, and I don't know if there's any way I can help. I would love that. Why well, I need you to be on as a guest? Of oh, course, I it's my dream. Okay. I, I'll just hang it up after I'm on the computer. <laughs> we'll do it. Adam, thank you. Thanks, Sean.